This is episode 256 of Alohomora for October 13th, 2018. Listeners, and welcome to another episode of Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's global reread and discussion of the Harry Potter series. I'm Allison Sigurd. I'm Rosie Morris. And I'm Kat Miller. And our guest today is a familiar voice. I mean, one of Michael's favorites, nonetheless. Uh, David. Hi, David. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having me back on. Um, r- refresh our listeners just a little bit, like house, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, well, I'm a Hufflepuff. But I, I always used to think I'd be Ravenclaw when I was reading through the books originally. But then Pottermore put me in Hufflepuff when the test came out. So I had a brief existential crisis, but <laughs> decided I was quite happy with it in the end. Good. I feel like we've all gone through a crisis like that at some yeah. point in our lives. So <laughs> There's a lot of crossover between houses as well. So Yeah. And David, what um, episodes have you been on with us before? Just give us... What kind of topics um, have you discussed? Can you remember? <laughs> yeah. Uh, first one was the Seven Potters. Mm. Ah. And then last time was the Old Theories episode, cool. which was great fun. Yeah. Wow. They feel like those episodes were literally years ago because they were. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us all this time. Yeah. Well, I, I think I've been listening since about the beginning. Oh. Well, in this week, we're going to jump in and we are going to talk about something very appropriate for this month and for <laughs> a couple weeks from when you're listening to this, we're going to talk about ghosts. Ooh. <laughs> Brilliant, spontaneous, synchronized wooing there, guys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very good. That was great. <laughs> Uh, Before we hop into this week's episode, however, we do want to let you guys know that today's episode is sponsored by Austin over on Patreon. Thank you, Austin. Claps for you. And any of you out there listening can become a sponsor of the show for just as little as $1 a month. Do I need to say it, guys? Do I have to say it? 100 pennies. (laughs) It's only 100 pennies. Okay. Rewards include things like access to a private Facebook group, uh, a really cool decal for, like, your laptop or your car, a private reading from Mr. Michael Harley, and or a vintage t-shirt complete with cat hair. So <laughs> head over to patreon.com slash alohomora and, you know, become a sponsor. There's all sorts of really cool exclusive tidbits just for you guys. So, you know, 100 pennies. Just go on a walk, get physically fit, and become a sponsor of Alohomora. <laughs> it's great. And before we dive into our topic this week, we want to give our shout-out Maximas from episode 254, which was about ring composition. Whew, that was I'm still, like, recovering yeah, from that one, I you think, know, a little bit. Yeah, the comments, everybody was like, oh my god, it's so overwhelming. Yeah, you didn't hear the stuff <laughs> off-air or the stuff that got cut. There was a lot. And... I think my I, I still have a headache from that episode. <laughs> like a good headache, but yeah, know, we could do an entire podcast like series just just the podcast itself being on ring compositions. So, yes. yeah, the fact that you could do it in one episode is just ridiculous. <laughs> Our first shout out Maxima comes from Puff the Magic Raven who came up with some really excellent paralleled events, most of them from Chamber of Secrets and Half-Blood Prince, but it was a really cool dive into kind of looking at um, 
some more of these these things that make up these rings. Um, so definitely check out that thread. It was excellent. Puff's going to have to come on part two then because we didn't touch those I books guess. in part one. You <laughs> cheater, sure. you jumped ahead. Shame <laughs> on you. Shame on you. No, it's okay. And our second shout-out, Maxima, goes to a seeker, not a finder. Oh, that's a cute name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard that one before. Uh, Who made me cry with a comparison between Hedwig and Norberta. Like, a ring comparison. It was very sad. And they started a discussion as well as on what ring structure means and why we love it. And that was continued by Puff the Magic Raven. And the weapon we have is love! (laughs) Because the love is in all caps, so you have to shout out. Absolutely. So it was a really big topic. We understand it's going to take some time for all of you to comment, but we really hope you do um, with what you find in ring composition. It's just such a fascinating topic. I know. I'm super looking forward to the next couple episodes, which we are going to space out, guys. They're not going to be anytime soon. So <laughs> just saying. I mean, we have to give ourselves time to like dive into Lethal White, which is like 630 pages for the <laughs> it's record. It's that long? It's massive i got it from the library and i i looked at the library and i was like holy crap this is a big book she goes yeah you can renew it twice i was like thank god (laughs) (laughs) just yeah always renew harry potter and jk rowling books just and galbraith i guess but you know anything that she writes just renew renew constantly or Mm -hmm. own about seventeen thousand copies like yep (laughs) yep I might be the only Harry Potter fan on the planet that has one copy of the books. I think, no, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I've (laughs) only got one copy, but then I broke last year when they did the 20th anniversary (laughs) Philosopher's Stone. In my defense, that was the only one I didn't have in hardback. Okay. Fine. Had to complete the set. I now have Philosopher's Stone in original 20th anniversary uh, Latin, German, and Scots. That's fun. Oh, I want the Scots one. It's so cute. Like, I think I yeah, it's, just, it's hilarious reading it through. It's really good. Can you can you get it in London? Can I pick it up when I'm there next? Um, I think so. Yeah, if you have a look in like yes. Waterstones Big Dilly, must, have a look. Must, I must have been in London when I saw it, so probably, yeah. Perfect. Good, it's going on the list. It'll be number seven. It's like you guys are Harry Potter fans or something. Jeez Louise. I know, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just here to talk about ghosts. <laughs> okay well let's get down to it then um so yes our discussion today is all about ghosts and we are going to be talking about ghosts in harry potter ghosts in real life so to speak um and just general afterlife thoughts um of the pontificating variety so <laughs> uh the way you said that made me think that you believe that <laughs> harry potter is not real life this is true <laughs> I apologize. I have to keep up the charade for the muggles occasionally, you know. Right. Hmm. On 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 break from Hogwarts at the moment, so yeah. Of course. <laughs> I did want to remind everybody there's we talked about ghosts on a couple of episodes before. So if you go all the way back, almost six years to episode <laughs> sixteen. I know. It's crazy. Where we ta- uh we discussed Chamber of Secrets chapters thirteen and fourteen. Yeah. And that was a big ghostly episode. So go check it out if you feel like listening to an episode from six years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Saying that, you know, we have discussed the Death Day Party. We have discussed um, Helena Ravenclaw. We have discussed the Nearly Headless Nick. All of those discussions do kind of crop up 
throughout the the, the um, book series as we read it, whenever it was kind of pertinent to discuss them. So mm-hmm. we may be crossing some similar ground here, hopefully not too much. Um, and we are picking up a lot from Pottermore, from extra writing, um, and we are just trying to draw in some real world mythology outside of the book series um, and all of that kind of thing to kind of lift our knowledge of ghosts and why they would exist in the Potterverse in the first place. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. I'm ready. Cool. Let's do it. Well, we have to start off with one of the best sassy lines in Half-Blood Prince. Alison, do you want to give us a go? Ghosts are transparent. <laughs> so good. <laughs> you can see right I just, It's just such an underrated moment, I feel like, because it's <laughs> hilarious. But, like, no one talks about that moment where they're like, well, you're not going to go ask to see a dead body in the middle of an alleyway and say, excuse me, are you the imprint of a departed soul? <laughs> it's true. I just love that moment because it's just so funny. It is. Ghosts are transparent. Sassy September. It is. <laughs> and that kind of, I don't know, dives us into uh, what J.K. Rowling has said about ghosts in this world. Um, There's a nice little Pottermore feature written by her about ghosts that gives us a little bit of background on what the rules are, kind of. Did anyone else feel like ghosts are one of the most straightforward magical things? I think because they're a concept that generally most kind of real world modern day people have an idea about. Um, It's one of the things that she doesn't really need to explain very much. Um, she kind of just expects everyone to know what they are. Um, just sort of put her rules on it, just so saying only wizards yeah. can come back. Which is BS, because um, <laughs> I would totally come back as a ghost if I could, wholeheartedly. <laughs> I'm all in, 10,000%. And who is Joe to tell me that I can't come back as a ghost? <laughs> just saying. You don't rule the underworld, sweetheart. So. <laughs> Maybe she does, yes. I don't know. among everything that's the other thing she does Mm -hmm. um (laughs) so yeah as as she explains muggles cannot come back as ghosts and the wisest witches and wizards do not and that's basically the basis of everything um that's all she explains pretty much about the (laughs) process in, in a lot of ways um most Witches and wizards come back as ghosts because of fear, guilt, regrets, or an overt attachment to the material world. Mm. So why did Nearly Headless Nick come back? Don't we get something from him? Says he was afraid to die. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what he tells Harry. We've got the whole ballad of his death story that will come up in a little bit. So we'll we'll read the whole thing (laughs) later on. So each of the ghosts will be discussed. At the end I, of the I forgot about that little poem. Lovely. Yeah, so we will kind of discuss all of the individual ghosts um, and what we do kind of know about them. Um, but yeah, on Pottermore, J.K. Rowling says um, that they are kind of feeble simulacrums of mortal life. Um, they're limited in what they can experience. And yeah, this idea that... Um, they come back due to having some unfinished business, um, an over-attachment to the material world or something that they need to kind of address. Um, they, they weren't quite done yet when they passed, so they choose. It's a, they seem, yeah, it does seem to be like a conscious choice to come back. Well, that's, that's what I've always wondered, because like 
does it is it a sort of an active conscious choice at the moment they die i've i've always wondered whether everyone gets their own sort of personalized king's cross moment like harry does just personalized to their to who they are and they're given the choice to either go on or come back see i wonder about that because from the story we get at least about professor bins they say he just like fell asleep one day in the staff room, woke oh, yeah. up as a ghost, and didn't... continued on like he had forgotten he was there. Yeah, he, like he didn't realize he was a ghost. So unless he was like that thing was a dream, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that's kind of the overt attachment to the material world thing. Like he was I guess. so attached to his job that he just kind of carried on doing it. Just loved teaching um, so much. Yeah, <laughs> which is weird because he's a terrible teacher. <laughs> I mean, is he, or is he just a boring teacher? He's just an old-fashioned teacher. He just carried on yeah, the same okay. way he used to. Yeah, that's true. Right, but makes that makes sense with ghosts. Um, they can't change anything about themselves. Um, th- this writing from Rowling says that they feel no physical pleasure and they cannot learn or progress at all. I mean, which I, I don't know. I've I've always had a problem with her saying that ghosts and like portraits for instance can't learn anything new because obviously they learn new things when they have discussed like oh hi you're harry potter that's learning something new yeah they're taking in new information that has always i guess that's true bothered me about that i i maybe that's not exactly what she meant but that's how it was perceived you know I wonder if it's more like learning new skills and you know developing themselves beyond sort of any kind of kind of growth yeah yeah or if it's like short-term memory like they can have a short-term memory of someone or something and maybe short-term being relative to however long they've been a ghost you know but they can't hold on to it for very long so like maybe nick can't remember james and lily because it'd been long enough i don't know i mean he remembers Sirius black yeah well, that's true he does and he tries to progress he tries to join the headless hunt and that doesn't happen so like he's, right. he's trying to develop something in his afterlife mm-hmm. oh that's true ghosts are very uh wonky i don't like the word <laughs> problematic so i needed a different word and wonky seemed to be it <laughs> <laughs> i wonder though if part of the reason he can't join the headless hunt is because of this fact that they can't like grow you know because obviously he can't change anything about himself. He can't get rid of the last little bit of skin that's holding his head on. Yeah. Right. That's true. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a permanent permanent physical change cannot happen. Mm. And they've still got the idea of being focused on whatever it was they were focused on when they, when they died or whatever reason they came back for. Yeah. And they can't sort of get past that. I think it's interesting that the closest thing, though, to that is portraits. I mean, yeah, in my opinion, it is. They're both kind of imprints of, of personality or soul, I guess. So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of the the thing that was left as a representation of this person. Whether or not that's the whole person in, in terms of a ghost or whatever has been taught to them in terms of a portrait. I guess it depends on whether we think that the ghosts are the entirety of the personality of the person who has departed. Mm. I would assume yes. They seem to be more fleshed out, so to speak. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Unintentional Very. plan. <laughs> yeah, they, they, from what we know about them in terms of Harry's interactions with them, they do seem to, they, you know, they don't have any gaps in their memories, so to speak. They don't have any um, 
anything to suggest that they're not just another character that he can interact with in the same way, other than the fact that they can go through walls. Um, mm. Which I guess is where the difference with Peeves comes in. He's very much more kind of one-dimensional as a character. He doesn't seem to have history. He just does the one thing kind of over and over again. Not um, technically a ghost, so that makes sense. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I guess portraits, when we've seen Harry interacting with them, they're more like Peeves. They've they've kind of got a purpose. They've got mm-hmm. something that you've been given to do, um, whether that is guarding a portrait uh, hole or, um, in the case of the headmasters, you know, guiding the, the new headmasters or mistresses um, of Hogwarts. So ghosts do seem to be slightly more than portraits, but portraits are perhaps more akin with poltergeists or ghouls or something. That makes sense as far as how sentient they are, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it was kind of funny. Um, This article says that ghosts are poor company on the whole, (laughs) but I feel like Harry spends a lot of time with ghosts. (laughs) This is true. Yeah, he does. I think that probably says more about Harry than anything else. <laughs> that yeah, I mean yeah. I guess you know Harry dwells a lot on the past. He does, and he also kind of does the same thing, right? He decides to come back. I mean, in his case, that means he's still alive, but yeah. <laughs> he kind of makes the same choice for the same reasons. Well, because he's got unfinished business. Yeah, yeah. but we don't really know. Where Harry was. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, the King's Cross moment is choosing between coming back as a ghost or choosing permanent death. It does seem to be very much more, you can either choose to die at this moment or choose to live again. Um, So when it turns to ghosts, I think, I think Nicholas describes it um, when he, when Harry asks him um, about dying after Sirius dies. And he mm-hmm. kind of says, um, you know, he, he made a choice that he kind of regrets. Um, and I think that that showed that it was a conscious choice. And I think it showed that he um, he wouldn't necessarily make it knowing what he does now about afterlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to be quite as clear cut as Harry's King's Cross moment. Yeah. Does everyone get one of those? Is the question. I feel like I feel like the King's Cross moment is unique to yeah, Harry. I'm sure it is. I just I don't know. I don't think everyone else gets that. I wonder if it's more like sorting hat, you know, don't don't put me in Slytherin, don't put me in Slytherin, don't let me die, don't let me die. It's that kind of mm. maybe. Maybe. If you're so determined not to pass on that you turn into a ghost instead. Or if, if you die with, with something weighing so heavily on you something that you're so desperate to want to to do yeah 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 this is going to be a very existential episode <laughs> we're not going to have many answers here guys sorry <laughs> i mean they're used to that it's okay <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a hazy topic right it is <laughs> yes so let's talk about the things that are concrete about the ghosts um and that's the fact that they can actually you know, they, they have no real physical body. They can't really do much physically in terms of moving objects and things, but they can create disturbances in fire, water and air, um, which we mainly see in terms of them lowering the temperature. Um, we mm-hmm. see this in the death day party when um, it's described that uh, Harry, Ron and Hermione walk in um, and it um, 
it says their uh, their breath froze in a mist before them it was like stepping into a freezer um so yeah very very cold because there are so many ghosts in one place and um, the flames go blue which i think yeah. technically flames going blue though is them getting hotter isn't it yep or is that colder yeah hot hotter but we have seen them yeah in fantasy it kind of represents like ice fire as well so yeah it could be could be seen as colder yeah and it's a colder color as well. <laughs> Which for a second I was ambience. like, why make yeah, <laughs> why make them cold? And then I was like, oh duh, because that's a lot of the folklore about ghosts is that they make cold spots. And I was yeah. like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I think that also comes from the you know the physicality of death. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you die, you generally go cold. Um, if you don't, then that's an interesting phenomenon in itself. But um, yeah. The idea that the imprint of the soul potentially has some connection to the body still and therefore would be cold or that, you know, you don't have a beating heart. You don't have the thing that would be keeping you warm and therefore you are cold spot. And you're usually buried in the cold earth as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I was reading somewhere today, too, that um, some ancient cultures believed like in cold environments, you know, that your breath is like connected to the to like ghosts. Mm -hmm. And so when it was cold and you could see breath in the air, that's part of it. You know, like when it's, yeah. Mm. That your soul was escaping. Yeah. Ooh, creepy. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) There is a theory that when ghosts manifest, they're sort of pulling energy out of the air and that's why it goes colder. Mm -hmm. But I think that, well, I've I've seen some scientists say it breaks the second law of thermodynamics and therefore proves (laughs) ghosts can't exist. But, that's no fun. <laughs> Damn you, science. Scientists. <laughs> we don't want to hear from you today, scientists. <laughs> I was just reading that the actually the word ghost um, has been in use since like the late 16th century. And it comes from an wow. old English word, which actually has roots in Western Germany. You know, the, the word ghast. Like, a ghast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like ghastly. Exactly. <laughs> I think um, Geist is also used, probably the same origin, um, as in poltergeist. Mm-hmm. It's um, German for ghost, isn't it? Yeah, but, I mean, ghosts, the idea of ghosts and spirits um, existed far earlier than the 16th century. Um, it's just, yeah, that that's the word that kind of became associated. It's a pretty universal um, concept, I think. Yeah. This idea of spirits being left on earth somehow for whatever reason depending on different religions and cultural beliefs and mythologies and we'll get to that (laughs) i wonder if there are any cultures that don't have some form of ghost i tried to have a look so there is a wonderful wikipedia um, which um i've got linked in our little document here um which is called a list of ghosts um and it literally lists folkloric ghosts in africa asia middle east europe north america south america and oceana so literally the whole world is covered in ghosts Um, (laughs) or some some idea of um spirits generally the passed on spirits of previously living people um or things like poltergeists so spirit energy um kind of building up and creating ghost-like figures um that exist throughout the world um, we're going to discuss um, Asian ghosts a little bit in a, in a moment because that is a particularly strong um, kind of manifesting ghost um, folklore. 
Um, there are others, and I really encourage you guys out there to, to go and research them because there are some fascinating stories globally, um, but we've only got a certain amount of time, so I hope you'll forgive us that we're only going to discuss a few. Um, we're, yeah, we're going to try and get the ones that are kind of a little bit more Potter-relevant, I guess, um, or maybe Potter-influenced ones. Um, but yeah, we'll get, we'll get on to that. I, just I have a ghost story that I want to tell. Oh, we all should tell ghost stories oh, okay. at the end. We should give our <laughs> best ghost stories. Yeah. Okay, deal. I thought of that earlier today. <laughs> Before we get on to those ancient ghosts, though, um, a few more little things that are interesting quirks of the Potter ghosts. Um, when we see Nearly Headless Nick um, in Chamber of Secrets, all kind of surrounding the, the Death Day Party and the Headless Hunt, um, all of which was cut from the films, which is really sad. Um, Did they film that? No, I mean, as in, it, it was never put in there in the first place. Oh, it was, okay. <laughs> we I see was a couple. Say, when did they film that? We see a couple of ghosts, like, galloping after each other, and that's it. They jump through the window, remember? Yeah. yeah. And they sing a Christmas carol in Sorcerer's Stone. They sing that song oh, that yeah. sounds very ghostly. <laughs> that's right. But we do see that ghost letters exist. They're transparent, the ghosts can interact with them, they kind of fold them and put them in their pockets. So it does seem that ghosts can have physical items, which seemed odd. I still, okay, I've been asking this question since we first talked about this, like, (laughs) six years ago now. Where does it come from? Is there a ghost superstore where you can go and get this stuff? I mean, I I just want to know. Is it whatever you die with in your pockets? Is there... A ghost Amazon? Like, where does it come from? (laughs) Ghost Amazon. No, you know, like, is there a whole other world? Outpost. Kind of like, you know, how Makuza, like, shares the building in New York. Maybe Hogwarts and other dwellings have ghost dwellings inside them, too, where they can go and get stuff. Because, I mean, where does it come from? I want to write on ghost paper with a ghost pen. That sounds really cool. (laughs) I think you'd have to be a ghost in order to do it, though, Kat. Yeah. (laughs) I already said I'd come back as one, so I'm down. (laughs) It does sound like ghosts are kind of on a different plane than humans. Um, I'm rereading Deathly Hallows. I've been doing this for a while. I don't know why I'm reading it so slow this time. Um, But I just read that Harry, before he talks to the Grey Lady, he realizes he's seen her multiple times just in the corridors and never said anything, mm-hmm. never even realized she was there almost. And it makes me wonder, like, are there just ghosts everywhere just like chilling around Hogwarts and like, but they're just like kind of living in different worlds. And so unless you intentionally are like seeking one out, you don't even realize they're there. And can, can you even see plane. them all the time? Because there's that bit Is when... It- um, they can go invisible. Yeah, because Peeves doesn't seem bothered by the fact that Harry pretends to be the bloody bound and invisible. So mm-hmm. I guess it's something they can do. Yeah, that's kind of creepy. And from each other as well, it's quite interesting. Is, yeah. Isn't there also a line at some point where Harry's talking about how he could barely see a ghost because they were in the sun or something? Yeah, in bright sunlight. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that Dumbledore's funeral? Yeah, it I is. I think so, yeah. Be, yeah. He, like, notices them, like, shimmering, but he can't really, like, focus on them. Yep. And when um, Nick is petrified as well, he, his physicality yeah. changes. He yeah, he becomes... He becomes yeah, he goes cloudy. Dark and cloudy, yeah. Yeah. So that's quite interesting, the idea that their kind of physical state can change or kind of adapt to their surroundings. Um, did we talk about this? How did they revive Nick? 
I think the theory yeah, is that they we, sprayed it on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a slight just, plot hole. <laughs> Madame Pomfrey with a spray bottle, just like. Skish, 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 I mean, well, they used a fan to blow him, right? Maybe you so. can get. That's true. Yeah. Maybe you can get ghost mandrakes. I mean, <gasps> see, where did those come from? <laughs> Are they like the result of when they kill the other mandrakes? <gasps> Maybe Allison. All the potion ingredients and then sort of make a ghost potion. You're on to something, Allison. Okay, so when a mandrake dies, that's how you get. A ghost mandrake. So, like, when they throw a piece of paper in the fire, it becomes ghost yeah! paper. That's it. <laughs> there you go. When they break a quill, it becomes a ghost quill. Allison. Oh, my god! You're a genius. You've figured it out. <laughs> so that... there's a warehouse at the end of the universe with everything that's ever been destroyed. <laughs> yes. But that also means that there are lovely things like ghost doggies and and bunnies and house elves and there's a whole that's really sad (laughs) no because they get to live on in another place unless they choose to die which is more sad well that depends on whether you believe that there's other afterlifes than just coming back to this one that's true (laughs) i believe in doggy heaven (laughs) i mean how can you not it's too sad to believe that all dogs don't go to heaven Yeah. yeah All animals, not just dogs. We are an equal animal podcast here. (laughs) (laughs) Except for ghosts have horses and stuff. It's very true. The Headless Hunt. Exactly. Those were were someone else's horses and then they died and they became ghost horses. Or their own horses if they died whilst on the horse and the horse died at Uh the same time. Which I think is probably what happened with the Headless Hunt. So did did the people get to choose to bring the ghost the horses back, or did the horses choose? That was my next question. Right? Do the horses have? (laughs) Do they have free will to come back as ghosts if they want to? That's horrible. If they're pulling them back, that's terrible. Yeah, they just want a nice quiet afterlife, and they get dragged back in to be ridden around forevermore. Let the horses go to the ghost pasture. (laughs) (laughs) Free the horses. Free the horses. Free the horses. Okay, so we're now having a ghost liberation front as well as a mandrake liberation front. (laughs) I was going to say, Hermione would be starting up another group. Ghost horse liberation front. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, our last uh, kind of question in this little section of the podcast. Um, Can you remove or kill a ghost? Um, or do we have to kind of let them choose to go on and fade into a certain point, or do they just exist forever from that point? Well, that was something I've I've really wondered because Nick, we, like we said before, Nick said he regrets his decision, so that kind yeah. of suggests it's permanent. And in which case, how permanent? <laughs> I something is ringing a bell in the back of my head that you can go on once you've finished your mission. I think that that's a fairly common idea in. I've seen it. I've seen it in a lot of stories. Yeah, in kind of real world mythology. Yeah. But I feel like it's a Harry Potter or something, and I can't. Um, I'm not sure. I can't Let's see what the lexicon says. Anything along those lines, because otherwise, I can just imagine like thousands of years in the future, just all the ghosts wandering around, no one they know still alive, and just stuck as they are, which is ghosts sad. run the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. And and. Until the sun goes supernova and then they're all just stuck floating in space. I feel like, and I was thinking about this today because I was thinking about Myrtle. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the living have some sort of control over ghosts because Myrtle is ordered back to Hogwarts. Yeah. Like they tell her she has to go haunt the bathroom. She's given like a ghost restraining order. (laughs) Pretty much. 
And I, like, can't figure out, though, what that means for, like, can you get rid of them? I feel like there's somewhere... Something says somewhere how you can, like, remove a ghost from a location. Well, they were talking about getting rid of Peeves. And... Yeah. uh, But, obviously, I mean, not really a ghost, so I don't... There's the Ghoul Task Force, which is um, part of the Ministry of Magic, about controlling magical creatures. Um, But I'm not sure about ghosts. I'm going to go get my Fantastic Beast book. I'll be right back. (laughs) Okie dokie. I I feel like it was something about what Lupin's dad did is making me think of this. Ooh. Oh, Lyle Lupin was a very clever, rather shy young man who by the time he was 30 had become a world-renowned authority on not oh, non-human spiritist apparitions. Wait, never mind. So werewolves. <laughs> no, uh bogarts. Ah, uh, okay. Poltergeists. Things that are like ghosts but not ghosts. That's cool. Um so I, because I'm a Ravenclaw, I opened right up to the right page and a ghost is in here. <laughs> and I was pretty sure that ghosts were in here. Um, but, I mean, I really thought they were. I'm looking at the original edition. I wonder if they're added um, for the second one. Yeah, Let me get my illustrated edition. I swear there's something about extracting a ghost from somewhere i think so too allison which is why i'm gonna look let's see but i can't remember where is this an alphabetical order oh good peeves is not considered a ghost but an indestructible spirit of chaos yes suggesting he can't be destroyed because i think i think there's actually said ghosts aren't in beasts no they they're mentioned at the beginning of beast because he like uh newt breaks down the difference between beast being spirit. Right, I know, but I still thought there was something in here about... Um, Maybe under ghouls? Is there anything under ghouls? No. Oh, dear. Um, there is a glum bumble, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> glum bumble. Uh, no, it just talks about the ghoul task force under, at the yeah. regulation and control of magical creatures. I think the the thing that we can really go from is Nick's experience when he yeah after after yeah. Sirius dies. I think that's the main bit we get describing what ghosts are and what the afterlife is for for Wizarding World. Um, and I'm fairly sure you know because he's saying he regrets it so much, they can't really pass on. Um, but it may just be that Nick feels unfinished because he's now the Gryffindor ghost, so maybe he feels like he can't leave because he's got a job now? Maybe, and I am so certain that there's some something talks about somewhere that a ghost can pass on. Me too. Okay, well listeners, there's your mission. If you can find that <laughs> quote for us, let us know it in the comments. The more I think about it, the more it's sounding familiar to me as well now, but I can't, I can't think <laughs> where it's... I, now I'm like, did we totally make this up at some point? And now I just thought it was real. Maybe. I'm wondering oh, if I'm getting it more I've done that before. Discussion of the veil. Although the lexicon does say that most likely animals become ghosts of human perform the necessary magic on them. Oh. oh, terrible. Ghost horse, what is it called? Release squad? I don't remember. <laughs> ghost horse, um, abolition, no, hmm. I'm trying to think of something that spells ghast. But 
abolishment <laughs> society. I don't know. <laughs> Ghosts are very sensitive about their condition. When the ministry initially classified them as sentient creatures with full legal rights, they claimed that the term was insensitive and received a separate spirit division, apparently to control the activities and haunting locations of troublesome ghosts. Oh, Myrtle's troublesome, huh? <laughs> I mean, we knew that. <laughs> <laughs> That's from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, so again, suggesting that they can be controlled to a certain extent, but perhaps not eradicated. Yes, but not, yeah. Okay. And in, in some stories and, and mythology, the older a ghost gets, they just eventually fade away. And yeah. Sort of... yeah, or become more powerful, depending on the ghosts. <laughs> well, yes, mm-hmm. um, or, or sort of what's driving them as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's that kind of, again, that kind of energy idea that, yeah. you know, if, if they haven't done anything with that energy, it just diminishes. Just um, whereas if they are a particularly malevolent ghost, um, they might feed on that energy and become stronger. Yeah. And we know um, the Fat Friar and um, Helen and Ravenclaw are both about a thousand or probably 900 by the time they died. So yes. it certainly last a while. Um, the Fat Friar is older than... Um, the Bloody Baron and Helena Ravenclaw, um, and um, Nick is also older than Helena and the Baron. I think. Oh no, he's he's like no older. Nick's. Um, I was going to say no, he can't be. Yeah, he's he's fifteenth century. Um, they were tenth century, and the Friar um, was also tenth century. So, so they were there and already ghosts when Nick was going to Hogwarts. That's, yes. that's so cool. weird. That's weird. Yeah. Was was there a Gryffindor ghost <laughs> before Nick, or did he just sort of turn up and take the spot? Is a good question. I'm sure there had yeah, to be. Yeah, did they did have? Ghosts? There had to be. Right. Yeah. When did the house ghosts become house ghosts? Did he just kind of like resign and go to a nice little retirement somewhere? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, where is that retirement village? With all those ghost pina coladas and. Um. So. I think this is from Pottermore. The page I'm reading it on does not cite it. It says, um, As ghosts are imprints of souls of the said deceased wizard and witch, they are unable to move beyond the veil and are forever trapped in the world of living as intangible beings. Due to this, few would choose the path. But, I mean, it still sounds really familiar to me that you can finish your business and go on, but... I don't know. It's not something in that speech from Nick. Nick says wizards can leave an imprint of themselves upon the earth to walk palely where their lives, uh, where their living selves once trod. I was afraid of death. I chose to remain behind. I sometimes wonder whether I oughtn't have. Well, that is neither here nor there. In fact, I am neither here nor there. Huh. Which suggests they're on their own plane of existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they're not here and they're not on the other side. They are somewhere in between. A forever purgatory kind of thing. It's a complicated topic, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna. Um, I I am um, giving up for the moment <laughs> until a listener comes back and tells me what I missed. Because I'm sure yeah. somebody out there is probably the first comment when the episode go- comes up. Someone going, I can't believe you yeah. didn't all remember this. <laughs> Screaming, feeling like a ghost because we forgot some trivia that they know. <laughs> right. Oh, I loved and that comment. It was us. so sad, but so true. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what's next Rosie I'm feeling disappointed 
That's a fun well, topic. maybe we can kind of boost our um, Potter knowledge by thinking about some of the influences that have made Joe decide on these parameters for ghosts. Um, so let's look at some ancient mythology um, and some kind of culture and religion aspects of ghosts um, to see if we can spot any links um, between them and our ghosts that we know and love in Potter. Mm-hmm. Do it. All right. So we're going to jump around in time zones and cultures and all sorts of things here. Um but I think, Alison, you wanted to start us off with some ancient Greek. Yeah, the first things I could think of of uh, ghosts in mythology, they're mentioned in both the Odyssey and the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Odyssey, there's a whole part that actually revolves around Odysseus calling up the dead and speaking to them, several different people. Um, so Greek ghosts weren't, like, scary, necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> they were just kind of, like, there, basically. And they had to be called, and then they went away. They went back to the underworld. Yes. Um, they weren't permanent. They um, they obviously had Hades, who was the god of the underworld, um, and um, Persephone became his wife. Um, and there's, there's the underworld is definitely seen as a kingdom um, where almost living mm-hmm. beings kind of lived. So once you had died, you became living down there instead. Um and you have to um like pay uh Charon or Charon um to ferry mm-hmm. you across the river Styx. Um and obviously you've got Fluffy <laughs> or Cerberus <laughs> um who guards the underworld um and prevents those um spirits from returning to the world above. Um and there are plenty of myths, so definitely the Odyssey and the Iliad. Um, but you've also got some stories in Metamorpho- uh, Metamorphosis mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, plenty of other Greek myths as well. Um, often they are um, told as cautionary tales. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of, you know, you can venture down um, to the River Styx and yes, sure, you can take your wife back up to the living world, um, but only if you don't look behind you until you are there. And, of course, he looks behind him. Um, Yes. It's very much... It never really ends well if you go down to the underworld and try and do something. That's Orpheus, yeah? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And Eurydice, I think it is? Yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Which is the topic of many brilliant paintings as well. Yes. (laughs) And then the Romans were basically, like, obsessed with ghosts. Yes. They were everywhere. But they were more malevolent, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. I haven't studied Roman as much as I have Greek. Um, yeah, me neither. <laughs> There's a lot of they, crossover. Yeah. Um, but they they were like ghosts everywhere, and they were usually pretty terrible. <laughs> they, if, if I'm remembering uh, <laughs> some of my, my Roman reading properly. Um, and some of the later ones, I think... There's a couple myths from Greece of ghosts that like weren't laid to rest properly and therefore they can't get to the underworld and so they just kind of wander yeah and they're just kind of nothings almost like they don't remember anything about themselves and they are just kind of there i think there's like there's like three or four different realms of the underworld um yeah like there's the ultimate one where it's basically heaven and there's a torture one which is basically hell and then i think there are two layers in between um which are asphodel I right think, like fallen warriors and yeah and 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 people with kind of unfinished business kind of things where they yeah where they're kind of wandering um you've got kind of links to norse mythology there as well 
um, mm-hmm. with the idea of, you know, Valkyries kind of taking the, um, taking the warriors um, and, and training those to be a, a kind of army of the dead. Um, yeah, so th- there are elements of, of kind of layers of afterlife and layers of underworld. Um, I can't remember how many of them then come back and kind of play foul with living people. Um, I I can't really remember any kind of ghost story myths where it is a ghost that is the main kind of um, point of contention. Generally, it's, yeah. it's the hero has to do something to either yeah bring someone back from the dead or prevent someone from dying. It, it never really has a um a ghost as the antagonist um but that being said there are plenty of um other spirits um in greek mythology so you've got things like dryads and and Mm -hmm. and, you know spirits of the trees spirits there's a there's a idea of um you know the world being alive and every everything that you can see around you having its own spirit um which can play tricks on you and that kind of thing um, but that's more nature than ghosts. Um, but it's still interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of the Roman kind of more malevolent ghosts, um, I wonder if that is perhaps connected to the fact that the Romans um, by that point were were a bit more kind of global traders, uh, not global, mm-hmm. but but more wide-reaching traders. And I wonder if there's a slight East Asian um, influence on that idea of ghost. Um, with the the Silk Road and things being opened up. Um, Because East Asian culture, um, with their strong belief in ancestors and um, being able to kind of um, call on your ancestors for luck or curses and that kind of thing, um, there is a huge variety um, of ghost beliefs um, or ghi, um, which are typically malevolent spirits of people who have died who come back to seek vengeance. Um, and, I mean, there is a really long list of names of different types of malevolent ghost, um, which is, yeah, like diving into that culture is is fascinating. Um, and they exist in all sorts of, of the different Asian um, countries and, and, and cultures as well. Um, if you've ever seen The Ring... Um, it's a really bad kind of Americanized example, but the, I mean, it was based on an original Asian kind of story and, and film. Um, and that, um, you know, the girl in the well with the, the white dress and the dark black hair in front of her face, that is actually quite a traditional um, viewpoint um, of an Asian ghost of, of one of the particular types. Um, and is, is reminiscent in quite a few um, Asian ghost stories. There's There's one I was reading about today too that, kind of made me laugh but not really laugh um from japan where they say on the third floor if you go to a school and you go to a girl's bathroom on the third floor and look in the third stall there's apparently (laughs) this story about that sounds familiar girl yeah exactly (laughs) about a girl who like a girl ghost that lives there and that in different versions she either like will eat you or like she's looking for someone to play with Oh, gosh. Um, and some of them say it originated like the story originated with uh, there was a girl at a school during World War II and um, she was in the bathroom when a bomb hit the school and so she died and so now she haunts the bathroom 
Sure. But it just made me think of Myrtle. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that Jason <laughs> like, heard that story and used it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just too close. to, And it also made me think of, uh, speaking of Myrtle, um, the American urban legend of Bloody Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Say it three times Which, and she appeared in the mirror behind you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> which I think everyone did in elementary school and freaked out about. Um, and I just had never connected that to Myrtle. But, like, I think that's kind of a funny... I mean, Myrtle is this annoying... <laughs> Not creepy, she's just annoying. Yeah. Um, she died as the precocious teenager, so she remained the precocious teenager. <laughs> yeah. I have a quick question about Bloody Mary for you guys. Um is the American idea of Bloody Mary Queen Mary Tudor, or is she a random Mary who's just bloody for some reason? Um, I don't think it's Mary Tudor. Okay. I do. Uh, because she's known as Bloody Mary because she killed so many people, so... Yes. Yeah, that's that's who um, I understand it being. She also seems to crop up as a okay. ghost in half the places in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to... I'm trying to remember because I don't remember it being that way. At least the one we told when I was a kid. Maybe it's one of those stories that has kind of shifted and melt and like merged together and has just kind of kept the name. Yeah, probably also regional because Allison and I grew up in very different places. Yes, Um, this is true. And I grew up in New England and we learned what I would deem to be almost an inordinate amount of... British, British history. history. Yes. Um, but, you know. You can leave us, but you cannot actually leave I us. I live two hours from, like, Plymouth and where the Boston Tea Party was and, like, all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that may be very much a regional thing. So perhaps I learned that and I knew that. But Allison, growing up in California, totally different experience. Yeah. I want to say the one we heard passed around had more to do with, like, it was like it was something to do with like either she committed suicide or which would make more like, sense as to why she's turning up in bathrooms and things and yeah exactly <laughs> or like someone killed her in a bathroom or something like that and that's okay. why she turns up um oh my gosh it's been such a long time <laughs> i mean i and i also might be getting some of this mixed up with there's there's an episode an early episode of the tv show supernatural where they touch on this there's one in charmed as well yeah (laughs) yeah where she's she's there she like shows up with people who have like secrets that ended in death and like she haunts them until they die now we're getting into final destination (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's a key idea with ghost mythology i think that it's very rare for the story to stay the same um, because oh, yeah. they are all generally folkloric, um, you know, the Odyssey and things are slightly different and, and Greek mythology is slightly different because it is, you know, the stories that we know are because they have been written down and are passed on through textual form, which kind of solidifies them. Um, but most ghost stories are a fantastic example of word of mouth. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, these these stories linger in places for years and years and years um, and, you know, appear spontaneously because someone's uncle made them up once and then they pass them on. Um, they, Yeah, I love ghost stories just because they are so telling about, you know, local society and local culture as to what they find scary um, and what um, lessons they want people to learn 
Um, so, you know, it's generally the old creepy house that you shouldn't go into or the scary dark passage through the woods that you shouldn't walk through alone. You know, it, <laughs> it's it's fairy tales. It's the same kind yeah. of culture of, of learning um, through, oh, you know, past mistakes. That girl died that time, so don't go there. Um, it's That's actually funny you mentioned, like, haunted houses because we didn't mention the Shrieking Shack. This is true. And how basically that's what happened is is kind of what happens for us when people see like a house that's torn down or whatever or dilapidated and they make up a story about, oh, ghosts live there. Someone died in that house, you know, and now it's haunted. Yeah. Um, that's basically what Dumbledore does with the Shrieking Shack. Yeah, you protect it by saying, oh, don't go in there. Yeah. <laughs> he just like creates an urban legend. Smear campaign. <laughs> <sighs> Cool. Um, before we move on, I know we already really have from the um, Asian culture ghosts. Um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Katie Lung because I was lucky enough uh, to be sent by MuggleNet um, to see her in um, a play called Snow in Midsummer by the RSC a couple of years ago, um, where she was playing uh, one of these Asian ghost characters um, and she was just fantastic. So that was amazing. If you ever get a chance to see a, a performance of Snow Midsummer or anything like that, do or read the play because, it, yeah, it was a fantastic example of kind of ancient Chinese ghost mythology um, being updated and modernised into kind of modern day um, Asian culture. Yeah, it was a fantastic play. So yeah, she, well done, She's so good on stage. Oh, yeah, she is. I'm not going to lie to when we were talking about ghosts in Chinese culture, I just thought of Mulan. Yeah. <laughs> And then we can't all be acupuncturists. <laughs> but that's exactly the idea, isn't it? It's, you know, the ancestors are yeah. watching over you um, and you can either have the good ancestors who are who are looking after you and caring for you um, or malevolent spirits, um, which I don't think Mulan encounters too many times. So that's all right. No. <laughs> um, another element, though, of this um, Asian culture is the Hungry Ghost Festival, um, mm -hmm. which is uh, celebrated definitely in kind of Taiwan and, and, and other um, major kind of Chinese and, and, and um, Asian um, cultures, cities, places, um, which is dedicated to rituals of remembering the dead, often feasts um, or, you know, leaving um, offerings out um, to um, pay tribute to these hungry ghosts um, and, and to kind of feed them so that they won't turn against you and that kind of thing. Um, which is a really interesting example of uh, a ritual or a festival that does seem to crop up throughout many different cultures. Um, the Hungry Ghost Festival in, in Asia, we've got Sawain um, in Gaelic um, and um, Celtic mythologies, um, so Scotland and Wales and, and probably traditional English, but we don't really know because we didn't really exist. Um, <laughs> which uh, really represents the kind of thin boundaries between um, the worlds, uh, both on Sawain and Beltane, which are the kind of spring and autumn um, equinox celebrations, um, the, the longest and the shortest days, essentially, um, that kind of celebrate harvest um, or um, the, the planting of the crops in spring. Um, and these are festivals that um, celebrate kind of uh the the passing of the she um or kind of uh, it, it's spelled in many different ways but the way i've spelled it here is s-i-d-h-e she um which are often seen as spirits or fairies um that can pass through from 
the other world um, into ours um, at these times when when the the days and the nights kind of match um, in length. And these are traditionally celebrated by feasts again, where places are set at the table um, for the ancestors, for for the spirits, to allow the dead to dine with the living and to to remember them um, in a very similar way to the Hungry Ghost Festival. This has also kind of turned into All Hallows' Eve. Um, it, it's um, been kind of picked up by Christian celebrations um, and All Hallows' Eve or All Saints' Day or um, it comes under many different names in the Christian church um, was the feast of remembrance of the dead, of, of saints and martyrs. Um, and it's, again, a feast um, generally in October or the end of the harvest. Um, and again, generally sees tributes being laid out to kind of feed ghosts, essentially. Um, this is where we got Halloween, yeah? Yes. So all, yeah, Halloween yeah. is Hallow's Eve kind of merged together. Um, and then the first is All Saints Day, right? Yes. Yeah, it's that crossing over mythology. between October and November. The The days kind of moved and shifted over the years. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, all it kind of blends into one really it's a three-day festival essentially <laughs> mm, okay <laughs> but we celebrate it generally on um the 31st now yeah um but you'll still find um i think particularly in scotland um they have or there yeah there are different places that have mischief night which is the day before halloween um oh, so generally yeah. the 30th they have that here um, too and it's something much worse yeah yeah <laughs> um but that's part yeah, of that this... didn't make it this far. Sure. <laughs> it's really? We're going to get to what made it in here. We're going to get to what made it around my area, my <laughs> region. Um, just another one, just to kind of quickly throw out there, is Dia de Muertos. Um, this is the is... one that made it around yeah. my, 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 my part of the country. <laughs> Dia de generally, Muertos, it, yeah. yeah. Generally, it's anglicized into Dia de los Muertos. The original was Dia de Muertos, um, which is uh, actually an ancient feast of the Aztec queen of the underworld. Um, so it is probably one of the oldest of these um, festivals that I'm talking about, um, but has very much been modernised and updated and brought into the kind of Halloween feel. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, all of these fe festivals tended to happen around a similar time, um, but have gradually drifted to be basically the same day um, with the merging of cultures and, and things as the world has become more globalised. Um yeah. Yeah. Dia de los Muertos is actually really interesting because it's it kind of is blended with Halloween down here, but it also hasn't. Yeah, it's got a very like, distinct I, feel, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's very. I mean, American Halloween is more creepy. Dia de los Muertos is a little bit more celebratory, mm -hmm. I think. And I mean, everyone I know who's Mexican yeah. down here that I've ever known growing up in here definitely celebrates, and it's a day they go clean up gravestones yeah. and they... which is see is definitely not a thing in this part of the country so yeah see and it's it's a big deal here um it's it's a pretty big deal over here since we are have that spanish and mexican right, i was gonna say you have California. a lot more settlers <laughs> from that area whereas everyone yeah. in my area that's settling here is irish <laughs> yeah sure. so yeah it's de it definitely still has a lot of influence i mean you see out with all the Halloween candy and stuff, you see all the Dia de los Muertos uh, the mask and decorations like and yeah. candy yeah. and yeah, and like it's a it's a thing. I mean, 
at my school, the Spanish classes all take the whole day and that's all they focus on on <laughs> Halloween. That's fine. Um, that's cool. Yeah. And like they, they do all sorts of things and, um, Oh, and it makes me think of Coco, too. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is so good. Oh, That's I'm great. going to cry. <laughs> I cry thinking about that movie. <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, Dia de Muertos um, and, you know, the Hungry Ghost Festival and all of these things generally um, represent thinking about those that have been lost um, and thinking about um, kind of remembrance and celebrating ancestors and, and familial lives um and just an idea of never forgetting them whereas Sawain um actually all Hallows Eve kind of goes into that as well um but Sawain was more of a um malevolent spirit idea so it's a bit more um I guess there's more of an element of risk idea in it um there was a lot of mischief there's a lot of um mummers so dressing up and that's where the the Halloween idea of, of dressing up as the as the spirits um comes from um so all those people that say, oh, you know, Halloween is such an Americanized festival, um, it's not. We we were the ones that kind of introduced the dressing up idea, so don't go with those ones. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's interesting that we've got these two, um, two kind of contrasting ideas of celebration and warning that do kind of blend together in modern day festivals um, now that we've kind of maybe slightly forgotten where their origins came from but i think that's more of kind of the swain thing there's definitely still a, a stronger idea of the history of dia de muertos um and things although perhaps you guys aren't really celebrating the aztec queen of the underworld so that's <laughs> no well. it's more it's more the yeah it's more the ancestral yeah. kind of remembrance than than the aztec queen of the underworld <laughs> it does bring up really interesting ideas of ghosts and kind of ghosts versus the afterlife. Um, and then if you kind of think about um, concepts of reincarnation and things as well, um, it's interesting that kind of the, the Asian culture and Buddhism kind of cross over quite a bit. Um, and the idea that, of, of um, kind of life being so important um, and, and um, yeah, it, I guess it, it depends on, what you really believe your spirit will do once you have passed um, and whether or not you kind of buy into a particular religion or a particular kind of concept of spirituality um, really depends on how you live your life. And, and we there are still no set answers as to what actually happened. <laughs> but different cultures really do celebrate different ideas and, and encourage people to believe different ideas that don't always match. Um, so as we are a kind of increasingly globalised culture, um, it's interesting to see how those do overlap. Um, and like you were just saying, you know, two different coasts have two completely different kind of ideas of celebrating this. So as those overlap, do they cause more tensions? Do we uh, accept people's afterlife views? What do we think? Not personally, do we accept them or not? Like, do, do we think as a culture we're, we're kind of accepting of, of people's um, concepts of afterlife, so maybe slightly more than we do their concept of religion in daily life? I was reading something today that was saying, and I didn't look up the actual study, but there was a study that said that like more people in the United States at least believe in ghosts than they like from the nineties until now. 
than they had before that, which yeah, I, I found fascinating. Recently, it was something like 52% believing ghosts. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I found a, really fascinating. Yeah, it was a higher number than I was expecting. And I wonder why. Where was that research done? Um, oh, gosh, I don't remember. I was reading a whole bunch of things today. Well, find it and let me know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I want to know. Like, really. That's really interesting to me because I tend to see America as a very Christianized country. And I don't think the belief in ghosts is a particularly Christian idea. Because it generally, you know, Christianity says you'll either go to heaven or hell and or, or purgatory if you believe in that particular branch of Christianity. Um, and, and it doesn't really leave much room for lingering spirits. I think um, that's another thing that is super regional. Um, sure. Yeah. yeah, I think is it that, can be. I, I understand, I mean, why you may think that. Um, but from <laughs> my my point of view... Um, I, maybe a handful of my friends practice any sort of religion, maybe a handful. Yeah. And that includes all my, you know, muggle net internet friends who live all over the country for the record. I think Allison is one of my, um, only friends that I know that like really practices a religion. I, it's interesting because I feel like I don't. At least in my experience, I don't know a lot of people who believe, like, ghosts, like, as in ghost stories, you know? But I definitely think I know people who are religious and not religious who believe that sometimes there are, like, spirits of the dead that show up places. Um, Like, maybe they've passed on and they have gone to heaven or hell or whatever, And, but they can arrive back on earth, you know, sometimes for certain reasons to offer warnings or, you know, um, and it's almost this interesting thing if it's not, yeah, I, I don't know if a lot of people, at least in my region, necessarily believe that like there are ghosts and they're attached to a house or an object or something. And I mean, I think we like that idea because we like being scared in some ways, (laughs) you know? So I, I think that is part of what feeds into that. But I think more people think that, like, I think people more believe that, like, spirits will arrive back for a certain re- re- reason. I cannot speak today. <laughs> um, reason and then, like, leave again. Are you speaking okay. generally you know? or in your experience? Generally in my experience. <laughs> okay. is, and this is from people from like different, different religions, different cultures, different life experiences that I've known. That's kind of the idea that someone came to protect them for a certain reason at some point, like yeah. help them yeah. prevent or, them from crossing the road at the wrong moment or that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Or like came and talked to them in a dream or something to tell them something sure. or yeah. those kinds of things more than like, there's a ghost haunting my yeah. house, you know? <laughs> do, do your religion have a stance on that? Like, um, you know, I love to quiz you about of? your religion. So yeah, no, I no, I know it's, it's a little complicated. Um, more of just like that certain spirits and like angelic figures can come to tell people things that they need to be told sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's very rare. Um, yeah, it's it's a very rare thing and doesn't. So it's more of almost like an out of body experience, sort of in a um, way. 
Like, yes. Uh, like they would come to you in like really. a moment of clarity, essentially. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. A little bit more like that. And it, like I said, it's usually a very rare and highly spiritual thing that people mm-hmm. yeah. like describe it as. Not like, and usually they won't even say like ghosts. They'll say like the spirit of someone yeah. or like an angel or something like that more than I think how like folklore interprets ghosts. Yeah, right? I think there's definitely um, more of an idea of kind of angels and demons and that kind of idea than yeah than ghosts than themselves. Yeah. Ghosts. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of ghosts themselves, like I'm super anxious to talk about the Hogwarts ghosts. Like absolutely, they're fun. Super jet. Like. I mean, I know you were joking about it before. Was this before we were recording? I don't know, where you said, let's do a whole episode on Nearly Headless Nick. Like, that would be really fun. But, <laughs> I mean, we can talk about him now, too. Yeah. Um, so Hogwarts um, is described as the most heavily haunted dwelling place in Britain. Um, this is, again, stiff competition, as there are many reported ghost sightings or sensings uh, on these damp islands than anywhere else in the world. The castle is a congenial <laughs> You should tell place. us some British ghost stories. We will, in just a moment. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I'm just... Uh, this is just all taken kind of from, um, I think it's from Pottermore, describing um, ghosts itself. So the castle is a congenial place for ghosts uh, because the living inhabitants treat their dead friends with tolerance and even affection, no matter how many times they have heard the same old reminiscences. Um, so yeah, it's a really nice idea that that's, that, that's why there are so many ghosts in one place is that they just, they feel accepted there. And um, I mean, isn't Hogwarts one of the most ancient places of magic in the country? Yeah. 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 Well, and if only wizards can see ghosts too, then I mean. Yeah, they're not going to be accepted in a Why not be where <laughs> only wizards are, you know? And every year there's a new bunch of kids to tell all their old stories to. Aww. I think that's really cute. I mean, guys, the Hogwarts ghosts just want friends. If you're a bragger, it sounds really fun to be a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. So, Kat, do you want us to discuss the actual ghosts now, or do you want to hear some. British ghosts both compare them to first I mean whatever I'm I'm down whatever you want to whatever you want to give us I want to hear what what Hogwarts is up against (laughs) okay um so David's actually created a a kind of quick selection of some ghosts that we can discuss um I have one or two as well but he he's done some brilliant research um so we can use those um there are ghosts pretty much all over the country depending on who you talk to and where you're going you'll be hard pressed um, to find a castle or stately home or anything yeah, older than about that 50 years <laughs> that won't claim to have at least one guys there are ghosts <laughs> in the wizarding world in orlando okay i have stories i'll tell you Ooh, Ooh. Ooh i'm okay, so excited for stories <laughs> yeah but everyone listening is going to have to subscribe over on patreon if they want to hear the ghost stories so okay 100 pennies guys <laughs> just saying continue rosie <laughs> Um, where should we start? Um, um, I guess the most haunted house in England is a good place to start, but yeah. I'm sure that claim has happened to many places. Well, no, this, um, this place in particular is a place called Borley Rectory, uh, which doesn't actually exist anymore. It burnt down in the late thirties, but, sure. um, there was, it was built in the 1860s, 1870s, something like that. And from the off, there was just loads of 
ghostly goings on. I think the main ones people kept seeing a, a ghostly nun either looking out of the windows or walking in the grounds. People saw um, a carriage um, with headless riders going through the grounds. And it's one of the reasons it's so famous is because um, a paranormal investigator called Harry Price got to hear about it and he went in. And since he turned up, an awful lot more things started happening, strangely, <laughs> like rocks being That's thrown. and Funny how uh, that works. Yeah, and mm-hmm. as, soon, as soon as he left, uh, a lot of it stopped again. <laughs> so it, it could easily <laughs> be a case of just good propaganda. But it's, yeah. it's gone or down maybe the being... ghost recognized one of their own. Just saying, <laughs> I super buy into ghosts, guys. I'm just saying, ghosts are real. Ghosts are real. <laughs> maybe he was a wizard, and you know he just saw them more. Yeah, he just saw more. <laughs> maybe he was. Um, okay, so the next one on our list is the ancient Ram Inn, which I've actually heard of as well. I, I've um, actually I haven't been in, but I've actually been to the village where it is and been around the outside. Oh, really? It's oh, wow. Really, I, I put the the Wikipedia link there as well. Have a click, just have a look at it. It is really it creepy. Is amazing. Say, say, <laughs> it looks creepy. I, I know how I would pronounce that. Say the say the name of the place where it is. The so it's uh, it's Wooten under Edge. Um, but it is a market town within the Stroud district of Gloucestershire. Okay, that's how, how would I w- you say it? Kat? No, that's I see. That's the thing. I pride myself. I live in Massachusetts. We have towns that are called like Leicester <laughs> and things that are spelled like hey. Leicester Square. So that's how yes. I would pronounce it. I just wanted Not to make Leicester. sure. <laughs> right? No, no. And yeah. we have towns like Worcester. It's like W O R C E S T E R, and people never yeah. understand how to pronounce it. So I just want well, to make I'm sure. Sure, that... I have heard someone say Gloucestershire before. So oh yeah. my Gloucester. god! <laughs> Last time I was on, uh, Kat, I remember telling you about uh, Loughborough, which is a place near me. Lugabruga. Spelt Lugabruga. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. I love that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah Lugabruga. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, okay, ancient Ram Inn. Tell us your story, David. I, thankfully, nothing happened to me, but I, I heard about this place before just because I'm interested in all this stuff. And we've mentioned down further down in the dock um, TV show called Most Haunted. Yeah, uh, it's one of those. It's a brilliant episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of these ghost haunting shows, and quite a few of them have gone to this place. It's an old, it's an old um, pub inn where you could people could stay, and the the bloke who used to own it was, I think, quite big on just. He seemed quite keen on the idea of people just going up, knocking on the door, and saying, "Can I have a look round?" And he'd, he'd tell them all the stories. Yeah. And if you if you watch some of the programs that this has been on, he's got some terrifying stories of he wouldn't sleep in his bedroom he, he slept on a, a sofa in the living room because he just said that the bedrooms were all too terrifying just constantly being woken up by things pulling the bedclothes off and sitting on the bed and bangs and crashes and all sorts so and cool. when you if you watch one of these programs it's just the, the inside is just it's this higgledy piggledy like really cramped tiny rooms and if if you could ever believe Good. any house was haunted it would be this one <laughs> Oh jeez! I think it goes back to about the 1100s. Yeah, 1145. Holy cow! Yeah. Not necessarily the same building, but versions well, yeah. of the building and versions of the inn go so, back to 1145. Yeah, yeah, built on top of itself. And those claps were for the use of higgledy piggledy, just for the record. <laughs> we'll see how many British words we can get into this episode. <laughs> yes, I mean yes. he used bloke already a few times, which I appreciate. Love it. Did so. I? Oh, didn't even notice. <laughs> 
No, it's good. It's good. I mean, us Americans notice that stuff. It's fine. <laughs> this place sounds amazing, though. I mean, terrifying, but amazing. Yeah, I don't I'm, like. Yeah, I'm not yeah, going there. Allison, I'm when, I don't like to be scared, but ghosts, ghosts and things really fascinate me. So I wouldn't stay there, but I would definitely visit. Well, I, I took a few yeah. photos of the outside and I didn't look at them for about a week because I was so worried of seeing something. <laughs> Just in case there's something in the window. Yeah, something <laughs> peering out of one of the windows at me. <gasps> Yeah, see, I, especially places in the UK that are said to be haunted, I'm like, we're not going there. <laughs> because my two scariest things, like two scariest experiences of my life happened in the UK. Oh, and we'll get to that when we tell ghost stories. But like, especially there, I'm like, we're not doing this. <laughs> we're not going there. For those of you out there who aren't even going to bother Googling it, um, <laughs> the Ancient Remnant, if you ever see an image of it, it, it really does look like, you know, the Potter's house in Godric's Hollow. It's that kind of... Yeah. Very oh, old, ancient building, covered in ivy. Um, it's bigger than Godric's Hollow would be, but it is that very much kind of pieced together. If you kind of mix it and the burrow together, yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of extensions, but very old and it's and almost, almost in that, looks like it should be falling down. It's almost in the same part of the country, right? Like, yeah, probably. it's down near. Like, I know where. Like that area, like this down near the fort, like Same the part forest of, the country of Dean, as Godric's Hollow, yeah. or it, it's yeah, yeah traditional really kind of medieval town, yeah, kind yeah, yeah, of yeah, okay. feel, yeah. Um, but other than these kind of famous places that uh, are particularly haunted, um, we were saying about Bloody Mary earlier, but you know, it's it's more often than not that you will be told that some very famous figures of history are haunting places. And it's funny how they can manage to haunt more than one place at the same time. I <laughs> um, wonder if they do it in, on a rotation. Yeah. yeah, maybe they just one day here, country house at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, Jane is sick today. I've got to cover her shift over at the Tower of London. <laughs> Dang it! Rattling yeah. the chains so, and banging the doors. Yeah, exactly. Who is the ma- most famous king in history, perhaps... Pretty much, you're going to say Henry VIII, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, just so notorious. Um, One of the Henrys. And especially because so many of his wives met untimely ends. Um, They are all said to be haunting one place or another, pretty much. Um, (laughs) I forgot about this. So Hampton Court is one of my favourite palaces to go to. And I forgot they do. They tell you, they've told me every time I've been there about Catherine Howard in the Mm -hmm. hallway. Do you remember the story? And, like, just that she's walking the halls? Yeah, it's it's that she's walking this particular hallway, and it's the hallway they say that she, after Henry found out she had been unfaithful, that she, like, went to go plead with him for her life and, like, try and apologize. And so they say that she walks up and down the hallway, and sometimes at night you hear her, like, crying and screaming yeah. as she's, like, being taken away, basically. And Lovely. Like, trying to plead for her life. So, Catherine Howard, when she was executed, was only 18 years old. Um, So, she is particularly um, kind of noted as one of those kind of teenage ghosts that that is particularly powerful, that is particularly loud, um, is particularly... um, kind of extreme in in her story. so if you, you know, if you imagine an 18 year old reacting to being told that they were about to be executed, that's pretty much what the ghost story is. Um, whereas uh, other queens, such as Jane Seymour or Anne Boleyn, um, Jane is also said to haunt Hampton Court Palace and Anne Boleyn is said to be seen walking around the Tower of London. I've never heard that. Um, they are um, 
generally more dignified in their stories. They're generally just told to be walking. Um, I, I don't believe we ever hear of Anne Boleyn screaming. Um, <laughs> because, if I mean, if you know anything about her story as she went to execution, she very deliberately um, chose yeah. to be extremely dignified in her, in her kind of passage to to the tower and go watch claire foy in the crown portray this Gosh, moment. Yeah. or not the crown sorry the, in, in yeah. um wolf hall portray this moment oh my gosh yeah extremely dignified um and yeah uh, it's partly you know all of these things are partly publicity stunts um they, <laughs> they want you to go and try and look for the ghost um and um, Tower of London in particular have just had a season where Anne Boleyn has returned to the tower. Um, they had a, a reenactor who was, who was amazing and, and walking around for the summer, um, who was then kind of That's cool. suggesting that, you know, if you come back late at night, you might see me again. Um, that kind of thing. That's amazing. Um, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> there's also, there's also, I just remembered this, um, in Hampton Court, mm-hmm. uh, after one of the exhibitions, and I don't remember which one it is, as you're exiting, I remember I was standing in the stairwell and I was waiting for my friend who was a little bit behind me. And I'm standing in the stairwell. At, I think it's the one about young Henry, okay. actually. And there's this little whispering voice that they just have on like a speaker. Because <laughs> the very end of this exhibition is talking about, well, like what happened? The, the exhibition is talking about Henry... As a young king, his marriage to Catherine of Aragon and then everything that happened with uh, them and uh, Cardinal Wolsey and everything. It ends pretty much when uh, he divorces Catherine of Aragon. Right. And so I'm in this stairwell and I'm standing there and there's just this little recorded voice of like a little kid just whispering, divorced beheadings. <laughs> yeah. Divorced beheadings. Like over and over. And I, and I like thought I was imagining it for a minute. And then I realized it was there and I was like, why are they trying to be creepy? <laughs> like, wow. So if you want to want to hear something that sounds like someone trying to be a ghost, <laughs> there you go. Equally, if you want to know more about Henry VIII's wives, there is a amazing musical called Six going on at the moment in the West End, which is literally all six of the wives telling their stories. Is it really? It's like That's all amazing. Like modern and punky and a bit Spice Girls. And yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Spice Girls? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, I feel like... Like, Amberlynn is basically Sporty Spice. It's brilliant. <laughs> wow. Is that going to come to a Fathom event? Because I need to see that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that one. Um, but uh, Amberlynn is not the only person said to haunt the Tower of London. Um, you've also got the amazing mystery of the princes in the Tower, which is one of the saddest unsolved crimes yeah. of history. Um, they actually found bones right they did but i don't think the kind of dna idea of it panned out mm. i think they found bones of other oh, okay. people um that were not the princes do you have an overview of that because somehow it's super famous and i have no idea what you're talking about of the princes in the tower maybe i do but it's not ringing a bell you've probably heard of it. yeah so um it was i think it was a power grab kind of situation um mm-hmm. let me uh just kind of quickly get the story so i get it right i just pulled it up cool um okay so the princes in the tower were two brothers um the only sons of edward the fourth um who um survived their father um in 1483 they were 12 and 9 years old um and they were kind of living in the tower of london um to kind of protect them supposedly 
um, because they were at risk because their father, the king, had just died. Um, but the person protecting them was their uncle, who was Richard, Duke of Gloucester. Um, Gloucester again. Um, and <laughs> Richard decided that, you know, these kids are 12 and 9. Um, I am a fully grown adult. I am going to be king. And he became Richard III. Um, once he took the throne for himself, the boys simply disappeared. They were in the tower and then they weren't. Um, and it's not clear what happened to them. Um, it's mainly suggested that Richard killed them. Um, that probably around 1483, they, yeah, they, that they were murdered so that he could secure his um, claim to the throne, that you know there wasn't anyone um, to argue against it. Um, there are a few other things that, you know, they, they escaped, that they became other people. Um, one of them, um, uh, a guy claimed to be one of them, um, and tried to kind of claim the throne back from Richard and, and he had none of it, um, and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's one of the kind of greatest unsolved mysteries of the, the royal family, um, and the royal history of England is, is what happened to these two poor little princes who were less than. They definitely years old. never covered that on the TV show. So, no, <laughs> <laughs> no I uh, I don't recognize that one. But yeah, it's it's one I think because okay. it's so unclear and because it is you know the murder of children, um, it doesn't tend to be covered as often in history classes. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it is one of those mysteries that people repeatedly try and solve. It's sort of entered the public consciousness of it and yeah, yeah. most yeah. people would have oh, it's a little bit jack the rippery it's yeah um but yes the the princes are supposed to be seen kind of wandering around the tower but again it also depends on whether you believe that they were killed at the time or if they escaped um because you know if if they did escape why there would be two children wandering <laughs> around the tower and it's a bit uncertain um oh we we should say also that um Anne Boleyn, um, when she was executed, um, was not a clean execution. Um, it, um, it is said that her um, executioner was worse for wear on the day, that he was deliberately um, tricked oh, yeah. into drinking the night before, um, or perhaps because he didn't want to be beheading a queen, um, had chosen to drink himself, um, but took a few goes to cleave off her head, um, and yeah, is, is therefore potentially an inspiration for Nearly Headless Nick, because there are definitely stories of very famous historical figures um, whose beheading did not go to plan. Yeah. Yeah, not... not oh, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I think there's one of the kings um, is also said to once his head had been removed have looked back and spoken to what? the executioner Sorry. wasn't there one of the french again uh, we, oh, yeah i think it's probably more french than history is terrible louis the 16th when he was executed was said to have... yeah which to an to an extent could be possible because there is still blood and brain power in your head for a tiny amount of time so you could blink essentially yeah. or you could like move some muscles Speaking, however, when you don't have any lungs attached to your body, probably not going to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's easy to see how it could be added to the story with a bit of yes, movement. Yes, a good example, again, of mythology and folklore adding to actual historical events. Mm. 
Um, yeah. yeah, David, do you want to do the next one? Um, well, yeah, we're, we're on to sort of non, a non-human example here, but I thought it was it was had too good a link to yeah. um, Harry Potter to not mention. But they're all around the country, different places. There are legends of a big black demonic dog that can be seen. It's it's always described in the same way as very big shaggy black dog, often with glowing red eyes. And it's Padfoot. Yeah, and it, 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 <laughs> that's, that's tied into the, the legend of the Grimm, because in, in some versions of the story, yeah. if you see it, then within a year, supposedly you'll you'll die. And there's the main example I can think of is there's a, a church uh, in a place called Bly, Blythburgh, where I think in the 1500s sometimes, supposedly this gigantic black dog burst through during a congregation actually savaged and killed a couple of people and on the way out um scratched the door with its claws left a flaming trail in the door and oh even gosh. now you can see again there's there's pictures on the wiki on the wikipedia page of the door with these sort of long black scratch burn marks in them oh gosh wow so again that's <laughs> that, that's another one of those things that's a good story yeah. to get people in but it's people to visit the church it's still it's still yeah. creepy when you see the picture yeah absolutely could also be explained by hot metal so like pitchforks or something Indeed. um or yeah if you're thinking about black dogs at the time um we definitely used to have wolves in this country we don't anymore um but there are definitely wolf attacks that have been um turned into these kind of creatures um we did a definite um, in-depth discussion of the Grimm on a past episode that I remember you were on, Cat. Yeah, I can't remember which episode it was, but if you search back through the Alohomora archives um, for the Grimm, you can definitely hear me talking about quite a few other ghost stories or Grimms. Um, I remember having quite a long list of them. I imagine um, it would be yeah. in Prisoner somewhere. I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, either in Prisoner or a more recent Tomic episode. The serious? Wasn't it the serious Possibly. episode? Maybe. Or something about divination, perhaps? Hmm don't know it exists anyway so do have a search for it <laughs> um if you want to hear more ghost dog stories an obvious example is also you know sherlock holmes and the hound of the baskervilles um ah uh, yes plenty of fictionalized oh. and also fiction stories available. sherlock holmes yeah <laughs> i wish they'd bring that show back that's all sorry <laughs> it, <laughs> it was just so good it was just so good other stories then, um, we've got the Highgate Vampire. Um, again, not a ghost, um, but very creepy. Do you have more to say on that one, David? Well, it's just it's something I've come across. I've, I've been to Highgate Cemetery. It's Again, that's somewhere else yeah. you can, if you could believe it anywhere to be. It is a beautiful be. cemetery. It, it's gorgeous, but it's it's also very, very overgrown in places and all the headstones are yeah. very... Um, properly gothic yeah yeah, that's probably the word I was looking for yeah really gothic (laughs) Um, and it's just this this weird situation where it's not even that long ago it was back in 1970 um, someone claimed to have seen this shadowy grey figure in Highgate Cemetery and I think it was just when the papers got hold of it it turned into this Mm -hmm. massive story at the time because someone else had suggested it was a vampire and for a while, um, the police were having to um, patrol the place because so many people were trying to break in at night and trying to break into oh different gosh. mausoleums. And again, re- reading into it, it seems like it was 
mostly a couple of chances looking for their 15 minutes of fame. But yeah. it's it's even now it's you occasionally hear it mentioned, so it's got this quite in, uh, enduring legacy, and it's it's yeah. an example of just something that's not stretching back hundreds of years. It's within living memory for some people. Yeah, it really proves that people still buy into and still create these ideas. Yeah. Um, again, sometimes for for personal gain, but also just sometimes because they believe it. Yeah. They were creeped out by a situation and just spread that idea that it was something supernatural mm-hmm. yeah aren't there a lot of ghosts in scotland too like ghost stories in scotland i was looking at some earlier yeah. today especially yeah i'm sure there are yeah like especially edinburgh castle i was just about to say edinburgh castle. yes, oh, yes. Yeah, there. there are plenty of ghost tours um and the the dungeons as well in edinburgh um mm. are also good for those um there's plenty of the necropolis um, in um yeah up there as well yeah um, there's plenty of kind of boggart and um, more kind of spirity myths um, in in kind of Celtic and Gaelic um, areas. You, you're definitely going to find a lot more of these kind of more um, kind of natural supernatural stories, um, hmm. but definitely ghost as well. Um, yeah, we we love a good story, especially if there's beer involved. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just thinking about kind of modern supernatural stuff, um, we mentioned Most Haunted um, earlier on, um, which is an amazingly rubbish ghost hunting program, um, of which there are many variations. <laughs> I think Most Haunted was one of the the, the first major ones here in the it's UK. It's been going for years. Um, it has. Um, I kind of want to look up if you can find this in the US, oh, it, but also I know I should exist. not watch this kind of stuff. I, I don't know if I can say, but yeah, you, if, if you look in the right places, you'll find it. <laughs> There's tons of like US programs yeah. like yeah. that, but no, I want to see this since you guys say it's so bad. <laughs> I mean, the American ones are pretty bad too, Allison. <laughs> well, okay. They're the standard kind of okay. thing where you've got your um, your host and your skeptic um and your spiritual medium um and yeah most haunted has been going so long that it's kind of cycled through at least two or three um (laughs) its first medium was um very publicly shamed and debunked about five years ago i think it was um something major happened that that really shocked the people that really believed in him um i can't quite remember what it was but it, it was kind of you know, standard being proven wrong. Something. He was definitely discredited. Um, yeah, yeah, majorly so. Um, <laughs> but he's still, you know, doing his medium thing around the country. People don't seem to care that much. Um, but it's, it's that, yeah, that amazing kind of mixture of, oh, I don't believe this at all. Nothing possibly could be happening here. Oh, no, the curtain twitched. <laughs> and and they, they always react so over the top as well. Like the slightest yeah. noise, the slightest twitch of something, and the presenter will be off yeah. shrieking away. <laughs> There's a brilliant one. Like the 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 most evidence they've ever had for a ghost was a camera that had been trained on a set of stairs. Oh yeah, I um, that. and had been running through the entire hour. Um, and then just as we're getting to the end of the program, the camera moves an inch to the side. And obviously there was a guy behind it, like, moving the camera, but 
they're saying it was ghosts and that there was no one in the building at the time and that kind of thing. Yeah. And they went, they went through um, phases as well as doing of doing special shows. So a few Halloweens ago, they did a, a live yeah. sort of three day Halloween event, or they'd get they'd what? get like and it was total suddenly nothing happened. Yeah. Or they'll get they'll do specials with F list celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> Just leaving them in dark, creepy rooms with a camera on. That's great. They they were really getting desperate though. I think last year because they um there was a doll a creepy haunted doll as you do um which spontaneously combusted live on camera i didn't see that um, what? except <laughs> except that you could see like the spark and the lighting paper at the bottom of the doll um so yeah it's it's rubbish, but That's it's brilliant. Amazing. They've been caught out fabricating um, stuff on numerous occasions, and it never seems to stop. Yes, no, it still goes. <laughs> um, I do have to give a special shout out though to BuzzFeed's Unsolved channel and their supernatural series because I I just love that guy. Those yeah, there's a, there's a pair of them. One of them is like super into believing that they're ghosts, and the other one is like, nope, it's fine. I'm just sat here and going, what the hell are you doing? Um, <laughs> but they're going to the fam- most famous kind of ghostly sites around the US and they recently did a, a UK um, visit as well to do the Jack the Ripper tour and things. Um, and yeah, they, they never find anything either, but it's just fun to see regular people going and doing those kind of shows. <laughs> My favourite recent ghost thing that was going around was, I forget where it was, but it was a high school somewhere in the oh. US where they kept finding weird things happening overnight, so they set up cameras and... I mean, oh, the lockers. The yeah, there was a locker. Yeah, oh, I didn't yes, care. Um, it went viral. Lockers. Yeah, there were doors at the end of a hallway that would just like swing, like hard swing open, not like a gust of wind swing open, but like mm-hmm. open and slam shut. Um, I thought those were pretty damn convincing. <laughs> uh, you know, were they? They re- were. I saw. Um... After it had gone viral, someone made a debunking video on YouTube where they compared videos um, that had been taken of the school previously that showed that the lockers had been put in front of uh, a window so it could be pushed from the other side. Um, and yeah, there, there are, there's various dubious things about that video that pretty much debunks it. Mm. Um, but it was still a good try. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't seen those, so it's real. Fair enough. <laughs> I'll try and... I can I can try and find the debunking video for you if you want, or I can just let you believe because it's more fun to believe. It is more fun to believe, but I do want to see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> we are now about an hour and forty four minutes in, so we have got about fifteen <laughs> minutes perhaps left um, to get finally into these Hogwarts ghosts. Um, as I have said previously, we have discussed pretty much all of these ghosts before in various episodes. Um, we are just going to try and kind of give you the extra Pottermore information or anything extra that's been given by JKR um, and just kind of give you our thoughts um, on what we know of them from the series. So uh, let's start off with everyone's favourite Gryffindor ghost that we have discussed slightly already in this programme, um, but we are going to... Uh, go into more detail. So, Pottermore tells us that nearly headless Nick, or Sir Nicholas de Mimsy Porpington, um, was originally born in the 15th century to a family of nobles. He left at the age of 11 to attend Hogwarts. Nick found himself as a wizard at the royal court, um, who also knighted him. Um, so he became Sir Nicholas at that point. Um, he was friendly with muggles, including a lady in waiting from the court, um, whose name was Lady Grieve, um, which 
you know, <laughs> in terms of Joe's naming is a little bit on the nose. Um, <laughs> she would ultimately be the cause of his death. Um, and J.K.R. actually says that in the first draft of Chamber of Secrets, um, Nick sang a self-penned ballad explaining how his head had nearly came off. Her editor was not very fond of the song, and so it was cut from the book. However, for those who are curious, um, we are going to read you the ballad of Nearly Headless Nick um, right now. Um, I'm assuming that the ballad would have been in the Death Day Party, probably as something he was performing um, to tell his story. Um, I think we read it back on that episode as well. Did we? It's yeah. amazing, though. I don't remember that. That was ten years ago. <laughs> It's it's a very good kind of classic rhyming ballad. So, um, okay. It was, a, it was a mistake any wizard could make who was tired and caught in the hop. One piffling error and then, to my terror, I found myself facing the chop. Alas for the eve when I met Lady Grieve, a-strolling the park in the dusk. She was of the belief I could straighten her teeth. Next moment she'd sprouted a tusk. I cried through the night that I'd soon put her right, but the process of justice was lax. They brought out the block, though they'd mislaid the rock, where they'd usually sharpen the axe. Next morning at dawn, with a face most forlorn, the priest said to try not to cry. You can come just like that. No, you won't need a hat. And I knew that my end must be nigh. The man in the mask who would have that sad task of cleaving my head from my neck said, Nick, if you please, will you get to your knees? And I turned to a gibbering wreck. This may sting a bit, said the cack-handed twit as he swung the axe high in the air. But oh, the blunt blade, no difference it made. My head was still definitely there. The axeman he hacked and he whacked and he thwacked. Won't be too long, he assured me. But quick it was not, the bone-headed clot took forty-five goes till he floored me. And so I was dead, but my faithful old head, it never saw fit to desert me. It still lingers on, that's the end of my song. Now applaud, please, or you'll hurt me. <laughs> it's a great ballad. It's just amazing. I don't think I've read like... that since it first came on Pottermore. I've forgotten no. <laughs> how good it was. Oh my gosh. I can see why it was cut from the book, but it is still a brilliant tale. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been really nice... Like, on one of the insert pages on the front or the back of the book? Like, inside, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, gosh. Like, as a, like, a little preface or, you know, at the end of the book or something. Or just sneaking it into, like, the illustrated edition somehow would have been nice. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's in the 20th anniversary. I don't think it is, unfortunately. It's not? No. Mm, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, so what do we think, then, of Nearly Headless Nick? Um, we obviously see him the most out of all the ghosts i would think um he he crops up to give harry a, len uh, a lending hand every so often whenever he needs a little bit of ghostly advice um and also tends to have kind of a few funny one-liners every now and <laughs> now and again um i loved john cleese in the film it was a really it nice little thing perfect, um, yeah. in the early days nobody um, nobody better for that part he was no good. yeah Perfectly I think Nick is interesting, and I think the best moment with Nick is at the end of Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where they have that conversation, just, oh. Yeah. Gets me every time. It's just that bit when he says uh, says to Harry, I thought you'd be coming to speak to me. Yeah. Because he's like, just the, the number of times he must have gone through this, every time a, a student has lost someone. He's yeah. essentially a guidance counsellor. Yeah. And that... that 
he sa- he doesn't even have to even ask necessarily. He just says he won't come does, back. Yeah. Does does how does Nick know? True. Uh, that's a very good well, point. Well, if he knew Sirius, I think he might. I would assume I that um, the ghosts talk to each other, and someone probably spied on the conversation or talked to the portraits. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any kind of ghostly knowledge. I don't think he's managed to speak to Sirius or anything like that. I think it's it's very much. I wonder if Dumbledore said something too. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Hmm. Maybe it's just one of those things where they could feel him pass through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, probably not, because they're not dead. So It happened in London and they were in Scotland. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah, it's it's, pro- it's probable that, you know, after, after the massive fight in Dumbledore's office, the portraits talked yeah. um, and gossiped. And that's probably how he found out. It's one of those things, you know, Hogwarts, the things that are the most secret are always the things that are unknown the most. Um, that probably counts for the ghosts as well. Complete <laughs> secrets. So naturally, Everybody the knows. whole school knows. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think Nick has a very traditional ghost story. Um, the way that he became a ghost, the the botched execution, um, very much seems to be how a lot of ghost stories happen. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. But you know, with the with the extra magical twist of he was being executed because of a spell that went wrong, um, <laughs> it's quite nice that he was a, a court wizard, uh, wizard to the king. That we definitely know that those existed. Um, definitely in France and in England, there were kind of advisors to kings who were said to be wizards and and alchemists and that kind of thing. So it, it fits into that. Because it was all just lumped in with all. Every science was all just lumped in together, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I think he's a very nice traditional wizard, traditional ghost, um, traditional knight, and perfectly portrayed by John Cleese. (laughs) (laughs) And then moving on to someone who's the exact opposite of traditional. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the next one is the Bloody Baron, and I think he's very traditional in terms of a malevolent spirit. Um, Although he doesn't act malevolently at this point in time. Um, So it's someone that you would be afraid of, but is not to be feared, which is quite interesting. Yeah, but why would you be afraid of him? Just because he's covered in sparkly? Covered in blood. (laughs) But is that a reason to be scared of somebody? Mm. Well, I think they say some of it's like the mystery of it. Like, we don't know whose blood it is, but it's not his. We get the impression he doesn't really talk as much as um, the fat fry. Yeah, and they say he, like, looks very intimidating. Like, he looks kind of creepy. I think he's also um, meant to be quite kind of stern and and strict and nasty character. We know that Peeves is afraid of him, therefore that makes us afraid of him because Peeves doesn't seem to be afraid of anyone. Um, So that makes us more afraid. Um, And obviously we, we later find out how intertwined his story is with the Grey Lady. Um, but, I mean, throughout the books, we, we don't really ever hear much about him other than his kind of control over the other ghosts. He's, he does seem to be head ghost um, in terms of the kind of ghost's council that they have at Hogwarts. The Baron is the one that's supposed to have kind of suggested getting rid of Peeves, I think, at some point, which is why Peeves is so afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to give him his little bio, um, the Baron was born into nobility in the late tw- uh, 10th century. Um, so, you know, that's a whole pretty much 500 years earlier than nearly Headless Nick. Um, he was infatuated with Helena ever since they met at Hogwarts. 
um, though she always spurned his advances. Um, not much is known about the Baron beyond his involvement with Helena, but it's clear that he was a hot-tempered young man. Um, when Helena ran away uh, with her mother's diadem, the Baron was asked to track her down, which he did, to a forest in Albania. With her cornered, the Baron pleaded with Helena to come back with him, but, in her own words, became furious at my refusal, jealous of my freedom, and stabbed her to death. Rightfully horrified at what he had done, he then used the same knife to kill himself, sentencing himself to an eternity of penance soaked in Helena's blood. Huh, okay, so, um, just out of curiosity, I was looking, because it says that he was born late in the 10th century, mm -hmm. and that is the same century that Hogwarts was founded, so Helena potentially would have been incredibly young. Um... I She's supposed to be pretty young, isn't I she? I think so. Well, I, I think... So they went to Hogwarts at the same time, essentially. So she would have been born... I mean, so... I mean, her mother was a founder of Hogwarts. Um, so right. would have been alive at the same time that Hogwarts was being founded. And, and yeah, so... So they were like... They were the OG class. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I also have a question. Ravenclaw must be Rowena's married name then, somehow. Unless she had Helena out of wedlock. So who is Helena's father? <laughs> <laughs> I would assume it was a married name or... Yeah, we don't know her father or... Yeah. It's uh, it's Slytherin, obviously. That's why Ravenclaw and Slytherin are so close. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of Founders Era fanfic that you could read. <laughs> oh. oh, that's okay. That was just a random question <laughs> I just thought of. The story's always bothered me. Because we only ever hear it from Helena's point of view. Um, and Justice for the Bloody Baron, is that what you're saying? To some extent, but also, obviously, I, I believe Helena that he murdered her and that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> the idea that he's so hot-tempered that, it, like, why would you kill someone just because they refuse to come with you? Like, that's so mean. But it, it kind of fits into a lot of traditional, the, the stories behind a lot of, yeah. Ghosts. Yeah, there's always some yeah. sort of great tragedy and someone fleeing or being kept against their will or trying to get their yeah. freedom. So yeah, I think that's what really piques my interest. Other kind of stories of that. The era. phrase jealous of my freedom. Yeah. What is he tied to? What freedom does he not have being a baron of the land? I mean, he's nobility, he's powerful, he's probably rich. What is he Did he make did he make like an unbreakable vow to Rowena? That's what or I wonder. Did he? There seems to be something, some other power at work that ultimately meant that he had to die for failing the task. Like if he was, if he was in an unbreakable vow to bring her back to Hogwarts, and failed because she died, then he would have to die himself. Yeah. So I wonder if that was part of the unbreakable vow. If she wasn't going to move, and Budge then somehow his rage got taken over the top and then he killed her and killed himself. And because it's unbreakable and the, the vow has still not been completed, they're both there as ghosts. Uh -huh. They're both, yeah. Because it says that it says he's literally described as in chains. Yes. He literally walks Which around is a in very, chains. Which um, I mean, now you've got Marley and Marley yeah. <laughs> thinking, yeah. sorry, Muppets Christmas Carol rather than actual <laughs> Christmas Carol in my head. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you've got the idea of, of purgatory and, and um, we didn't mention Hamlet at the top, 
Um, oh yes, the, yes, yeah. The idea of of ghost chain ghosts having to atone uh, atone for their for their misdeeds. Yeah, he, again, he's a very classic ghost image um, of of the more scary variety, um, but with a an interesting past that I want to know more about. And I wonder too, I mean, moving on to our next one, the Fat Friar, it also says that he was born late in the 10th century. So was he, he part of that OG class too? Guess so, yeah. Or around it. Soon after. Yeah, very early. I, I have a question about Helena though, before we move on. Mm-hmm. So in Deathly Hallows, she specifically says in life she was Helena. Yes. D- do you think that like ghost identities? change over time or has she just been trying to conceal i think she she speaks in old english and that's how they speak (laughs) (laughs) i think she's she she feels more attached to the personality of the gray lady um and that is what she's known as we only ever hear that she's helena ravenclaw right at the end Um, yeah so she doesn't like the fact that she was helena ravenclaw and she betrayed her mother ashamed yeah um mm-hmm. yeah she's ashamed of who mm-hmm. she was therefore she's taken on the other personality and only really ever refers to herself in death as that nowadays gray lady is another sort of classic lots of places around the uk will have either a gray lady or a blue lady or a white lady brown lady or yeah yeah white lady's a big one yeah la Llorona and things like that yeah which generally makes sense because ghosts are considered to be kind of white ghostly figures. So you're more likely mm-hmm. to see a white lady than anything else. Um, but yeah, the idea that actually that's quite interesting that she's gray as well, that she's not, not even showing purity it is, yeah. it is a, a dirtier color. That's maybe quite an interesting clue as to the fact that she doesn't really like feel innocent um, for what she did. In terms of why she came back, do we think that she came back because she knew where the diadem was hidden, she felt guilty for stealing it, you know, that kind of reasons, rather than the murder aspect of her death? Because mm. she's she's very reluctant initially to tell Harry about it, because last time she told someone about it, it was stolen. So it certainly seems that she's yeah. tied to it in some way. Yeah, and she told someone about it while... Um, I mean, she was already a ghost by that point as well. So that that is a, an, another interesting example of ghosts learning behaviour. So that counteracts yeah, the idea that they can't point. progress. Um, we do actually see the Grey Lady right in the first book. She's one of the first ghosts that are described by Harry when he enters the side chamber um, before he gets sorted. Just throwing that out there. I like that she's she's an OG ghost in more the ways than one. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah the fat friar then um as we just said he was he was born in the 10th century um so around that founding of hogwarts time um as well um he however seemed to leave wizarding life after graduating from hogwarts um he joined a mendicant religion as a friar um and he spent his entire life begging in the name of charity so he would um beg for arms and that kind of thing um and um his fellow clergy grew suspicious at his ability to cure the pox with nothing but a stick, and he was soon executed. Um, personally, having having studied Anglo-Saxon medical charms that were around the 10th century and did involve things like cures for pox by poking people with sticks, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. It's great. And then you've got the additional joke of his penchant for pulling rabbits out of the communion wine probably didn't help either. Um, yeah, love it. <laughs> Um, 
I think he kind of buys into the Friar Tuck religion, not religion, sorry, mythology yeah. um, of kind of Robin Hood. And yeah, there's there's plenty of ghosts um, of uh, monasteries and things that are said to be friars walking the hall and all that kind of thing as well. So he's an interesting one in terms of why he would come back as a ghost, though. If you've dedicated your whole life to religion um, and to curing people, um, is it simply that he was executed and he feels that was unfair that made him come back? Is he actually afraid that perhaps his religion didn't like magic and therefore he didn't want to pass on just in case it wasn't what he'd lived up to? We don't know enough about him, especially as he's a Hogwarts ghost yeah. and he's a Hufflepuff ghost. And we need to know more <laughs> justice for Hufflepuff. Yeah. I also find it interesting that if he was around um, at the same time as the Hogwarts founders, why would he become the Hufflepuff ghost? What's the connection there? Maybe he's related to uh, Helga. Maybe. We don't know his or name. Or maybe he just, I don't know, liked food. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to stay near the kitchen. There we go. If he couldn't taste anymore. <laughs> well, again, it's like, okay, how do you become a Hogwarts ghost? Like a house ghost? Is there a waiting you list? Like, you put hey, your name I was down? in this house. <laughs> yeah, is there like... Is there, like, a hierarchy? Like, what's going on here? It's not like you can fill a post after the next one dies. <laughs> Could they leave? Could Myrtle be- become a house ghost if one of them decided to quit? <laughs> oh, oh I wonder if you have to be of, like, ancient blood to be a house elf, or a house ghost or something. A house elf. <laughs> house elf. Um, yeah. My uncle was a house elf. <laughs> I think Nick's definitely interesting. I wonder if there was an OG ghost from the 10th century that retired and let Nick become Gryffindor ghost. Or maybe there just weren't house ghosts before then. Or maybe, yeah, or maybe no Gryffindors that had died that had a connection to it became ghosts. So the position was unfilled. Because that doesn't seem like a very Gryffindor thing to do, to be afraid to go on to something else. It's not the next great adventure, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Too many questions, not enough answers. (laughs) We just don't know. Was nearly have this Nick a Gryffindor? I mean... Yes. Well, we're assuming that they were all of the houses that they became. Yeah, I was going to say, do you know that for sure, Allison? I'm pretty sure that's in his bio, isn't it? It says he's Gryffindor ghost. I don't necessarily think it says that he was a Gryffindor. He might have been. Hmm. Pottermore says he was sorted into Gryffindor. Okay. okay. Yeah, the lexicon does too, which I trust more. So, <laughs> sorry, Pottermore. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's think about some other Hogwarts ghosts then, or ghosts that we see in Hogwarts, but not necessarily live there. Um, we've obviously discussed Moaning Myrtle a little bit um, to give her her... Miserable Moaning, Moaning Myrtle. <laughs> Myrtle her Elizabeth her Warren. <sighs> Which is a very important name if you know your witch history, Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, she was born in the late 1920s. I knew it was familiar from somewhere. and I've, Yeah, that's just yeah. slotted it back into my head for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was born in the late 1920s to muggle parents. Um, she was Myrtle Warren, as we've just said. She started her Hogwarts life in the early 1940s, where she was sorted into Ravenclaw. So... So Myrtle's been born, is being born during Fantastic Beasts, and this is just mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. Messing me up. <laughs> there is a, a good chance that we could see a live Myrtle and a live Tom Riddle in the Fantastic Beast series, depending on how much of a time period it covers. I'm assuming that they both went to Hogwarts post Grindelwald, 
Um, so it's potentially just after the Fantastic Beast f- series ends. Well, no, um, Tom Riddle was born so, in yeah. 26, so yeah, he's think, not even a year old when the first yeah. time Fantastic Beast film takes place. Or wait, I think yeah, sorry, he no. finished in 1945, didn't he? Uh, yes, wait, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So the first Fantastic Beast film takes place um, early December to 1926, and Tom Riddle was born, obviously, at the end of December 26. So literally, the end of the first film in the Fantastic Beast series is as... Tom Riddle is being born. Yes. Yeah. That's quite an interesting occurrence. Um, yeah, I can't imagine that, speak that, they, <laughs> that they won't tie it together with all the other tie-ins that are happening. How could they? Yeah. <laughs> It'll happen. There'll be some sort of clue. Something. I saw um, the the image of Jude Law's Dumbledore and the Dumbledore from the flashback at the orphanage. Oh, yeah. that Dumbledore, Dumbledore has had a hard 10 years <laughs> in that sequence. I love that. I just, I'll be 100% honest with you. I just want to see Jude Law in that purpose. You know what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I just, so when I was at the Fantastic Beast VIP event this past weekend, or week, uh, many weeks ago when you listen to this now, I actually asked <laughs> Colleen Atwood about that. Did you? What did she say? I did. It's on the MuggleNet Facebook Live, but essentially she said that they talked long and hard about it, and they decided that at this point in Dumbledore's life that he would not be so exuberant. No! Where, where he he is still trying to hide the person that he is. He's ashamed of what has happened, and that that's why he only wears muted colors. I need the purple suit. So maybe the purple suits come out after he defeats Grindelwald. Later, yeah. Interesting. I want the purple suits so bad. But Jude had something to say with that too. So he, it wasn't just, um, you know, Colleen or David or whoever. But Jude, yeah. Jude had a lot of input on the costume, which just looks Jude, so listen. snuggly. And man, I just really want to like walk up to him and have him put his arm around me. So. It does look amazing, but listen, Jude, if you're listening to this, <laughs> someone get this to him. Purple suit, please. That's all. <laughs> to return us to ghosts. At some point. <laughs> um, Dumbledore's a ghost now, basically. He's dead. <laughs> this is true. Dumbledore never comes back as a ghost, which is... No, I'm kidding. Interesting. <laughs> um... Yeah, so Myrtle, um, she was bullied relentlessly because of her glasses and her acne, which is so sad. And she returned for vengeance. Like, she was bullied to the point that she returned to haunt the person who bullied her. Um, it's an interesting story. Um, and it, it it is one of the sadder and more, I guess, juvenile ghost stories that we hear. Um, more relatable, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pimply, pimply. I think her returning as a ghost is perhaps more to do with the plot point of Chamber of Secrets, um, but she yeah. is such a fantastic character that it, 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 I mean, we don't care that it's a plot point. It is such a brilliant um, haunting. Um, One of my absolute favorite parts of the production of Cursed Child is the actress who plays Morning Myrtle. <laughs> yeah. Because she like, you know, she flops around on the top of the... Uh, of the taps there and it just it kills me she she was great it's incredible and as we said earlier Myrtle's story also seems to suggest that the living can have some sort of power over the ghosts um as the ministry can actually order her to go and haunt a bathroom rather than a person and she agrees um whether that's just because she maybe got bored of haunting olive um and or olive died to go somewhere yeah or, or olive 
or Olive died. Um, it, it seems to suggest that it was to relieve Olive rather than Olive dying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. Um, but it, it does seem to suggest that either the ministry can force people to do it or they can persuade the ghost to make the choice to leave, um, which I think is possibly slightly more likely. <laughs> Some other ghosts that we see then. Um, we have mentioned the Headless Hunt um, earlier on. They are a, a series of um, ghosts, all of whom have lost their heads and are all riding horses, as we've discussed. Um, I don't think that they are permanent residents of the castle. They seem to be invited guests to um, the Hogwarts grounds. Um, but they show up in the Battle of Hogwarts. Do they? So were the Hogwarts ghosts... Yeah, the Hogwarts ghosts, were they just like, hey... We need some help And here. what can the ghosts Headless even hunt? do? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're not the army of the dead from Lord of the Rings, which would be really <laughs> cool. Don't get me wrong. But they literally can't do anything. I don't know. Maybe they go, like, freeze out Death Eaters. They just, like, sit on them until they, yeah, like... just fly through all the Death Eaters and make them cold. Until they're freezing, and then they're like, okay, now we're moving <laughs> I mean, that would take forever. I, I mean, I, get, I understand. Could just... they possess people? We, we don't have any... Um, stories of possession in Harry Potter, but I wonder if it's possible. Oh, not ghostly possession. We do body? have possession. Voldemort possesses Harry. Yeah, so could you do kind of an essential, like, imperious curse, but you are the ghost controlling them from inside the body kind of thing? Creepy. Well, that would I be love weird. It. I love it. Very Ghostbusters. And we do know that the, <laughs> the leader of the Headless Hunt is um, Sir Patrick Delaney Podmore. Um, and of course, so properly decapitated, properly decapitated. Um, but Podmore is obviously a surname that comes up more than once because we have Sturgis Podmore as well. Um, and I wonder if that's just a little bit of a, a hint as to Sturgis's um, maybe pure blood status. That his, his line goes all the way back to all, the Headless Hunt. All these names like this. Every time we like pick up on one of these, I'm like, it was either intentional. Or it's Mark Evans. She just forgot. Yeah, it could be. Like, there is no other option. (laughs) Well, it's not Um, one of the sacred 28, so it's probably just... No. I also love that, like, there are so many, like, double-barreled surname ghosts, and, like, they're all the same. Yeah, it's just a great one. We think that there are other ghosts haunting the rest of the castle that are not really seen as much. Um, There are probably ghosts all over the place. Harry certainly seems to mention seeing a lot of ghosts around but we don't ever kind of really get much of a description of them um we know that there was a council of ghosts um and we obviously have peeves who is not a ghost but a poltergeist um which is um, a creation of ghostly energy uh, we've definitely discussed peeves in a previous podcast as well um so do go and check out our peeves he's discussion. not a ghost so we're not going to talk about it exactly <laughs> Because um, we don't need people yelling at us. Peeves isn't a ghost, guys. We know. <laughs> we know. Not a ghost. <laughs> and really, the only other ghost ghost um, that is mentioned um, is the Wailing Widow from Kent, um, who is one of the guests at the Death Day party as well, which, again, is another one of these kind of white lady figures. I kind of thought that maybe it's a slight reference to, like, Miss Havisham and Great Expectations, you know, literary figure of a widow, or maybe not yeah. even quite married, um, but it kind of idea, that idea of the white lady ghost um, seems to fit with that. And Great Expectations has major links with Kent, so it kind of works with that one. But there are also some major 
ghost stories in, in Kent as a, as a county, including widows who wail. So maybe Joe had heard of one of those stories um, and wanted to include it. Other death day party guests um, are described as a group of nuns, a man wearing chains, a knight with an arrow sticking out of his forehead, and a portly ghost who walks through the food in an attempt to taste it, um, which we kind of see um, in the films, in in the Fat Friar in the first film, when he's kind of going through the table holding, a, I think it's a chicken leg, um, yeah, and being very jolly. Uh, I, I, I heard lots of theories about how the... The ghost wearing chains was the guy from, um, oh, I can't think of his name now. The Tiny Tim story. What the hell's the name? Molly. Yeah, yeah that's it. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank yep. you. Yeah. I heard, I've always heard lots of theories about that that's probably him. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing that Joe would do, especially in the early, early books is, um, make some literary references like that. So yeah, if, if, if the Wailing Widow is potentially great expectations, then definitely the man in, in the chains could be um, from Scrooge. So from who's the knight Christmas with the arrow sticking out of his forehead? Um, well, that would make sense as um, potentially being, oh, what's the story of... Who's the guy who has to, like, shoot the apple off the guy's head? William Tell. Oh, 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 oh. William Tell, yeah. If, if it went wrong, it could be quite a joke with that one. Um, or it could be... Um, Could be Harold. The Bayo Tapestry. One of one, yeah. One of the one of the kings died because he had an arrow to the eye, um, mm. which is a you know Battle of Hastings. Um, could be that story. Who knows? There's plenty that it could be. <laughs> um, Portly Ghost again. Could be Fat Friar. Could be Friar Tuck. Um, again, going into mythology. Um, not sure about a group of nuns. There are plenty of nuns throughout history, so <laughs> could be any of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I like when she puts little uh, Easter eggs in like that. I'm sure that it's something. Yeah. I'm sure it's some specific re- reference she was thinking of. If I get to talk to her at some point in the next couple of months for Fantastic Bees, I'll just ask her. <laughs> totally out of the blue. I'll just be like, so tell me, who the group of nuns and nearly had this next death, by, death day party? And she'd be like, This what? book that you wrote over 20 years ago, tell me this obscure detail. She's like, What are you talking about? It, it, <gasps> she'll have an answer. Have she an probably answer, will. It's fine. Yeah, I guess quick shout out to the Weasley Ghoul and the Veil, which we haven't really discussed here, but again, aren't ghosts themselves, but have ghostly kind of connections um, that we have discussed in previous episodes. So go and check those out if you can. And just, like, throwing something out there for you guys to, like, keep on your radar. MuggleNet has something happening sometime in the next month with something called The Veil. I don't know, just keep an eye out. That's as specific and vague as I'm going to get. So, (laughs) just throwing it out there. But, David, we're at the end of our show, and we need to thank you once again for coming on and being a spectacular guest. Well, thank you for having me again. Got to talk about Harry Potter and ghosts. You're a right old lovely bloke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's been great fun. And our next topic will be for our next episode, Deathly Hallows, Chapter 18, The Life and Lies of Albus Ooh. Dumbledore. So we're getting up close to Fantastic Beast time. It's time to start looking at a everything Dumbledore again. Yeah, and we've had a couple of really awesome essays recently with the big spoiler thing that was dropped. We won't say anything oh about gosh. it just in case people haven't seen it. Are you living under a rock? I don't know. It's fine. Um, but in the Three Broomsticks, which is H.P. Boy 13's column on MuggleNet, a couple of really super cool, awesome essays. One of them 
is around Dumbledore. So definitely go check that out. That was uh, the author there is Irvin, who was on the show just a couple episodes ago. He is a Dumbledore expert. So go check that out. They're really good. They do not disappoint. Don't read it after you've like just had dinner or anything because it's, <laughs> it's yeah, really, really gross, don't. It was oh my really gosh, good. it's really good. Ugh. Yeah. And if you want to be on that chapter discussion or in any of our upcoming shows like David, visit our website, alohomorepodcast.com and choose be on the show and follow the instructions. Send us an audition. Tell us what you want to talk about. Come talk to us about whatever you want. There's a wealth plethora of things we can talk <laughs> about. If you want to suggest a topic that we talk about, go to our topic submit page. Um, and all you need is a microphone and a pair of headphones. And we'll walk you through the rest if you're going to join us. So go suggest. Go audition. And if you guys want to contact us for any other reason, um, you know the drill. You can find us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook.com forward slash Open the Dumbledore. Our website, as Alison has just said, is AlohomoraPodcast.com. You can find us on YouTube, YouTube.com slash AlohomoraMN. Or email us, alohamorapodcast at gmail.com. And we want to just thank our patron for this episode one more time. And um, thank you so much for being an absolutely incredible sponsor of this show. Austin, we love you. Claps. Thanks, you. Austin. Clap, 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 clap. And again, remember, guys, it's just, just 100 pennies and you can be a sponsor. Patreon.com backslash alohamora. Go check it out. And like ghosts or, I guess, not like ghosts. We're going to disappear <laughs> now. I'm Alison Sigurd. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Rose Morris. Thank you for listening to episode 256 of Life Open the Dumbledore. was a mistake any wizard could make. It was tired and caught on the hop. One piffling error, and then to my terror, I found myself facing the shop. Alas, for the eve when I met Lady Grieve, as strolling the park in the dusk, she was of the belief I would straighten her teeth. Next moment she'd spouted a tusk. I cried through the night that I'd soon put it right, but the process of justice was lax. They'd brought out the block, though they'd mislaid the rock, where they usually sharpened the axe. Next morning at dawn, with a face most forlorn, the priest said to try not to cry. You can come just like that. No, you won't need a hat. And I knew that my end must be nigh. The man in the mask who would have the sad task of cleaving my head from my neck said, Nick, if you please, will you get to your knees? And I turned to a gibbering wreck. This may sting a bit, said the cack-ended twit, and he swung the axe up in the air. 
But oh, the blunt blade, no difference it made. My head was still definitely there. The axe man, he hacked and he whacked and he thacked and he whacked and he hacked and he whacked and he thacked. Won't be too long, he assured me. But quickly it was not. And the bone headed caught. Took 45 goes till he floored me. And so I was dead. But my faithful old head, I never saw it fit to desert me. It still lingers on. That's the end of my song. And now, please applaud, or you'll hurt me. Hurt me, hurt me, hurt me, hurt me, hurt me, hurt me.